everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. My God, my voice sounds terrible, and I apologize for that. But we do have an excellent guest on this week. John Sabolski joins us to talk about a subject near and dear to his heart and his brain. As a historical ecologist, he's an expert on studying all of our past mistakes, which have led to our current climate predicament. John studies coral in particular, and as it is a sensitive animal, that's right, an animal, it can tell us about climate trends and human impact on our environment. But John's brain isn't merely a sponge for all things coral. He's also going to talk about fossil fuels, overfishing, the end of the world, and lifting weights. It is your classic power athlete quadruple of conversation. Here it is, episode 443. Nation, welcome to another episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning. Inc. Wait, that was an echo. That was a delay. Oh, that was a delay. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm trying to delay it. I am uh, CEO of Power Athlete John Walborn. I'm joined by my two amigos, co-hosts, uh, and good friends sitting here, Mister Tex McQuilkin. Hello, and I'm Luke Summers. <laughs> no, <laughs> Still I'll find something uh, it's pretty good, dude. I uh, do. We got a kick-ass podcast today. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, we're bringing on a buddy of Texas from back in the day, who's a really just interesting cat in terms of like not only marine biology, but just uh, kind of a forensic scientist in, in terms of like the environment and the sea. Yeah, it's it's a scenario in which you just connect with a, a person at a gym over weightlifting, and this was at CrossFit DC. I'd go there to lift and work out, and. John, our guest here, was on just the sidelines doing Olympic weightlifting, so we were just rapping, and little did I know, we just connected through social media, he had this awesome background and career, and he recently put out a TED Talk, and I'm like, he's making a connection between his passion and love for his career, marine biology, and then his training. Mm-hmm. So I saw it as a great opportunity for us to share his message and his passion with the world, and all this was going on, and I just like, oh, cool. You like lifting weights? That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's it. How do you pronounce his last name? It's Cybulski. 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 What's cool about this is like, I don't know. You, it's such a hot topic to talk about this <sighs> stuff, the, the climate change and pollution and plastics. And like, I feel like the platform here is very like there was it was not politicized. It was just like, hey, here's the research I have. Here's how this thing kind of works. Here's some things you could do. And yeah, there's like a... Uh, We're in a sketchy situation, and I I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. And and the fact that we can bring somebody on, and I I do that. I think that's why I've really grown to to just enjoy the podcast and really like what we get a chance to do, and even other people's podcasts. Mm-hmm. But bringing on real live like experts that are in the field, that are on the ground in the fight, that can actually give us this unfiltered mm-hmm. uh, you know lens and this outlook, and you know his perception of this, and instead of having to wade through a bunch of politicized bullshit or you know here mm-hmm. to actually just have a really um, you know, interesting intellectual talk with somebody who's fucking pretty sharp and really at the at the head of their game. That's right. Well, I would say boots on the ground, but more like fins in the water. Hey, gills, gills in the water. Old Gill. Um, so, spoiler alert, ladies and gentlemen, there's literally nothing we can do to end the world, so do whatever you want, right? <sighs> no. Because the oceans are so deep, and it'll just take another million years yeah. to spawn more humans from 
octopus eggs or whatever the fuck. I, dude, I um, I kind of. Am I wrong, wrong Tex? Well, that's the moral yeah. of the whole right. podcast. All right, so think about Do this. whatever you want. Right, like okay, so there's been six mass extinctions, right? Uh-huh. So I always wonder, okay, so like life gets to a certain point, gets smashed back, and then it kind of reboots, and like there's different versions, like. Are we the sixth version of something? Like, what did the first version, and then what does the next one look like? Oh, dude, second version had to have been better. Well, I do have this funny, you know, like Family Guy's comedy, where it, like, cuts back to something? I forget what the cutback was, but the cut clip is Ireland in, like, 1800s or 1600s, whatever, and it's like, and now our greatest invention whiskey <laughs> and it's like all, they're all smart scientists <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like flying cars and future background and then all of a sudden the scientists take a shot and it's like a snap yeah dystopia <laughs> and it's all burning down you know the um uh it's pretty interesting like like there's a lot of like negativity in this just uh, you know dystopian kind of mm-hmm. uh futures and v for vendetta and this whole deal but i think what's pretty interesting is the ray of sunshine a little bit of golden and i, I was glad i was able to you know, he, he brought that up that like, there's always a chance to improve mm-hmm. if we can only make some changes. Like we've seen things come back. We've seen it like mother nature is extremely resilient. Mm-hmm. If we provide the opportunity by reducing some of this, I just wonder what it will take to, I mean, we saw with the global pandemic, like, like this isn't going to stop. Like, mm-hmm. like I feel like mother nature is just going to keep like, okay, Hey, you guys got science. Don't worry. I'm just going to keep bringing you something. Right. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to imagine totally peeling back all of the human created like mass impact. You know, you driving, you carpooling three days out of the week is one thing, but like like you said, the the huge freighters that are traversing yeah. the oceans every day. Like, how do you stop that? Because that's Tens global commerce that we told that every everybody relies on the internet, everything that creates the internet, TVs, computers, watches. But, but we survived without it. I understand that. But, but, uh, but are like, we willing? Like, when, dude, humans aren't willing to do that. Are we willing to go back? I, I like. I'll tell you this. Not yet. Um, I need to take a few online courses. <laughs> like, <laughs> like here's the existential thought that I was having as we were talking. I'm like, what? Like, if if they put it in practical sense, like, hey, this is what you have to give up to ensure the 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 survival mm-hmm. of humans. Yeah, I was gonna bring that up. Are you willing to do this? Like, are you gonna go back to farming your own food and going on horseback and doing <sighs> this and 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 not being able to travel by plane and not this mm-hmm. and you know Amazon goes away so you can't get your dongle that you order for twenty seven dollars. It's gonna get shipped. Right. My house in 10 minutes, like all of this stuff, like what are people willing to do? Cause here's the thing. Um, nobody of like stature has ever come out and been like, Hey, this is the inevitable. This is what we have to do. Are you guys willing to do this, to go to, to ensure this right. survival? No way. I don't think I don't as think a global do. society, people are willing. However, I enjoy kind of imagining what life could be like in that scenario, like very tribal, But then with all of these tribes, is there going to be more like local warfare and murderous like ravaging and pillaging? Well, we got welders and metal. We can build a lot of Mad Max. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I mean, because remember, Mad Max took place in 2021. Hmm. Oh, I did not know you, that. You didn't know that? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's oh. why I got you guys we'll for, go uh, for for Halloween. We're all going to dress as Odorous Rungus. <laughs> you remember the dude with the mask? And, uh, and uh, You guys have never seen Mad Max? I have, but I have to rewatch oh. it. The late, I've, I mean, I've seen Fury Road more recently than Mad Max. <sighs> yeah. I, I like the Fury Road. You got to go back it, and rewatch it, I think. I've seen it a couple times. Okay. I dig it. Uh, but it's just kind of weird with the mother's milk thing. Like that whole, mm-hmm. it's fucking weird. Mm-hmm. 
but and the dude without a fit you know with no face and no dude. eyes just on the front playing a guitar i love it that's dj yeah. <laughs> Uh, dude, I, uh, I think that was a, I mean, um, I thought he was not only a, a, a super cool guy to connect with, had an incredible oh, yeah. message. And I think it's really nice to get on with some people that actually know what the fuck is going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So now you can know as soon as you listen forward or listen to what's coming following yeah. yes. this spiel. Well, let's so get to dive it. into the podcast and then linked <laughs> in the sh- <laughs> You are really going with all these puns. And linked in the show notes is John's TED Talk. A How sea to, of resources. <laughs> a sea of resources. A plethora. Would you say he has a plethora? Mm-hmm. His TED Talk of how to build your climate fitness. And I know the title is a little fishy, but I promise that it's a real... Big catch? Clam. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real big catch? <laughs> real like, It's a real pearl. Real no, it, it, pearl. It, yeah, it's a real yeah, pearl. Like I said, we've all been saying... <laughs> Uh, All right, let's hit it. Go. (laughs) And go. John, we connected years ago at CrossFit DC when you were banging and clanging uh, when you were still studying at American University, man. So it's been a while, but let's give you the opportunity to to reconnect with you and I and then share with the audience who you are and what your expertise is in. Cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, Texas. It has been a while. (laughs) Uh, No, my name is John Cebulski. Uh, I'm currently a marine biologist and a historical ecologist. So it's my job to kind of look at ecosystems of the past and use historical information to try and tease out how those might have changed to the present day and then figure out what caused those changes and if there's anything we can do about them. And really it's, it's mostly become a conservation science because we're trying to use this information to better conserve our ecosystems for the future. And so I'm currently at the University of Hong Kong just submitted my PhD on that topic. Uh, and I specialize in corals and coral reefs. And, and in, the, in my spare time, basically the only hobby I have and have ever had is I like to lift really heavy shit and try and teach people to do that as well in a safe and fun and progressively better way. <laughs> and that's where we linked up when I was in, I call it the dark ages when I decided to do CrossFit for like five and a half years. It's all right. And then finally, you know what's crazy yeah. is we have listeners, John, right now who are like, "No, I just started CrossFit." It's I had it's never awesome. heard. I had never heard about CrossFit mm-hmm. until a week ago, which it's like, for us is like, "Holy hell!" In five years, <laughs> you're going to be in one of two places: injured or <laughs> injured or following power athlete. Well, in Hong Kong, uh, study. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's 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 really the life cycle we've seen. I mean, mm-hmm. people get into CrossFit, they enjoy like the lifting weights and the training and the physicality of it, and then all of a sudden, as they just start getting injured and you know metabolically broken, mm-hmm. they start realizing like. I just really like lifting heavy shit and being in, you know, getting a little bit of conditioning, which allowed me to lift more heavy shit. However, yeah. just as a disclaimer, we're not mad at CrossFit. There are still good CrossFits. We have coaches who are CrossFit gym owners yes. and do it right and have periodization Incredible. and yeah. individuality yep. to their training. Yes. And it's under a new regime. So who knows what Eric Rose is going to do for the affiliate network to create a more effective training system. Uh, the thing yeah. I always appreciate about CrossFit was the nuance that it was kind of like going in and eating, you know, Italian food. You walk in anywhere yep. and it's like, even though it says it on the name, there's going to be a completely different experience. I mean, one of my favorite ones is I was in uh, Osaka, Japan, and we went to an Italian restaurant where the only person that had been to Italy was the guy's great-grandfather around the turn of the century, like around the mm-hmm. 1900s, went and learned how to cook Italian food, came back to Osaka, opened his restaurant, 
and then taught it to the father or it was the grandfather, the father and the son. I mean, basically like lin- like lineage generation, but they had had none of the ingredients to cook Italian food. So everything was yeah. there like their fix and their take. And like, I guess we go in this Italian place. It's got the same menu. We're ordering things. And I'm like, I don't even know what the hell that is. That thing just exploded. In my mouth. That's not a ravioli. Like, Oh no, that's a, uh, um, a sperm sack that's from a, a fish. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, yeah it was exactly. like the craziest things. And like, I remember leaving there and being like, you know what, this is more similar to like the CrossFit model than anything I've ever seen where, you know, there's this one ideology you get in and then you just see these different iterations as people start learning and, and learning and learning and more information comes out. And then you get a sperm sack explode in your mouth. Yada, yada, yeah. yada. <laughs> to, to, to close off the cross. Because yeah, you're like, well, yeah, that's, not a, that's a regular occurrence yeah. over here in Hong Kong. Yeah, hey, man, I've eaten some sea sperm sacks before. It's, <laughs> it's just the way of life. I mean, that's, yeah. Now, to close out the CrossFit thing, I mean, I stepped away for athletic and for coaching reasons. The athletic was, I didn't even get hurt. I just could no longer be good. And I'm hyper competitive. And I, I like to compete in all the sports I do. And when I started CrossFit, it was still that like garage gym, like oh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like if you work hard, you can be competitive. And that's where I was at CrossFit DC. And I just then didn't have the ability to learn 100 different exercises in a competitive way. And it, so I had to step away. And then coaching, I didn't like the model where I actually didn't like the kind of BS where like CrossFit's for everybody because I don't agree with that. And I also don't agree with having a business in the sense where people come off the street and saw the CrossFit games. And then they're like, well, I, you know, I want to snatch and I want to do, do overhead walking lunges. I want to do all these things. And like, well, you, you don't have any ankle flexibility and all these problems. And, you know, there are some gyms that do it incredibly well. And I think CrossFit is a great sport and a great exercise for a lot of people, but then the gyms that don't, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, it, it's you know more it, about this than I do. I'm not well, going to ramble on. <laughs> it's kind of dose related. Like, uh, what do people really need to be the best version of themselves? And then being yeah. able to look at everybody as an individual instead of, you know, the age old like. Uh, everybody should CrossFit from grandma to the Olympic athlete. And you're like, no, the Olympic athlete shouldn't do CrossFit because they should be focusing on the mastery of their Olympic sport. Olympics. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and the idea of general physical preparedness as like your singular model doesn't make sense when you're asking somebody who's trying to get to their sport specific performance at, you know, the, t- mm-hmm. the tip of their spear at the highest level, which, you know, you have to periodize back into it. So, um, yeah. but I'll tell you, they CrossFit has done more to getting barbells in people's hands than, Yep. Really, probably anybody more than maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger and like um, who was the other guy? Uh, who was the dude Fred back no? in the fi- um, no the guy no. back in the fifties? Yeah, no, well, no, he was he would have been barbells. No, there was like Arthur. There was something. There was a guy back in like the twenties or the thirties that was in the back of magazines, and it was like the the cartoon of like the big dude kicking the sand in I'm the like guy's desperately face. And searching then, my and, archives. And, and, and then the guy goes and lifts weights, <laughs> and he comes back and beats up the bully. And it was like this idea of like lifting weights to like defend yourself. But yeah, that, like that guy was the one who first and like you know they had a, a like the weights from Sears and Roebuck that had mm-hmm. like concrete in them. And it's like it's not Arthur Murray; that's a dance guy, but it's something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. like, uh, like CrossFit completely changed, you know, created this like micro gym model. I mean, think about like the companies like Rogue and all these other huge companies that basically grew, you know, kind of parasitical and, and, and yeah. not in a negative way, but it grew on the back of this fitness revolution. So, I mean, we, we owe them a debt of gratitude. I just think that, uh, it, it kind of reminds Arthur me Saxon guys, Arthur Saxon, the industry, John kind of reminds me of, um, the environment that let's say like a coral reef would offer sea life, right? Like 
Yeah. You know, CrossFit's the coral, and then all these barnacles and eels and weird puffer fish, box and, fishes. And man is trying to kill the sport. What's pretty <laughs> amazing about coral reefs, and I like, um, I uh, so I, I grew up in Southern California. I grew up in a uh, town called Palos Verdes. Okay. But if you know PV, uh, yep. you know, it's all kelp beds. And we used to go surfing when the surf was crap. We'd go spear fishing, And like we, mm-hmm. you know, we swam in all those kelp beds. And like just that like uh, experience in scuba diving. I mean, I think I got certified at like 15 in terms of scuba diving. And my dad actually went all over the world with his rotary group and, and uh, you know, went to the most amazing places from like Truck Lagoon and like, you know, all these bitching places. And uh, like the idea of like the coral reef is like almost this like, super highway hybrid city where all these fish interact but i always thought like you know how does um, you know how does that ecosystem necessarily get formed and why in the specific locations yeah no cor- it's a great question corals i mean are incredible animals for that exact reason so they are animals first off <laughs> and then they have formed a symbiotic relationship with algae so they're actually they're Oh, man, they're the best because they get energy from the sun as an animal, which is very rare. So they kind of just sit around. The algae does all the work, and it gives them most of their energy. And because of that excess energy, then they they then can produce this carbonate skeleton, which is what everyone thinks of when they think of corals. You think of actually a coral reef, and the reef is this geologic structure that's made of carbonate, and that is what forms a habitat. So that forms the nooks and crannies, like you can see behind me, the places where those fish, those juvenile fish are going to run away from predators, that algae is going to grow, eggs are going to be laid, et cetera. Um, And it all comes from that kind of symbiosis and that excess nutrients, which actually I find super fascinating. Um, And they exist where they do because to get sunlight, you need clean water. To get or crystal clear water to get clear water you need low nutrients and those really only happen around um, the tro- uh, tropical areas so on like the tropic band so corals have kind of found their niche we call it like a trophic niche so they found a place to exist with minimal competition um, around those kind of warm tropical areas which is why you associate um, those are tropical corals hard corals actually exist all the way up into um, like northern Massachusetts on the east coast <laughs> of the U.S. Just a very 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 small abundances and they tend to get out competed as you go to different places by other organisms that do similar things so if you think of the I'm from the east coast of the U.S. I'm from Rhode Island and if you had looked at the east coast in the 1600s when we first got here it was just covered with oyster beds and you know Hudson Bay and like save the bay and all this oyster reformation so as you kind of push into those murkier northern waters, you'll get oyster on one side. On the other side, if you have really steep um, coastlines, that's where you get your kelp beds. And that's, you know, California kelp. Hmm. Um, So yeah, yeah, I mean, corals are crazy because yeah, one, they're animals, which is interesting, but they create this habitat. They create a hotel for other animals, which is why they're the most biodiverse marine habitat in the world. So something like, yo, go, 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 sorry. I was gonna say, talk to me a little bit about like, getting into this field and finding a passion for this and whether or not you're you stick out like a sore thumb as like a big beefy bearded bro who's slanging weights i just don't see this as being like a bro oh i do uh, i mean look at rudy reyes i mean they're in their blue force deal and i, I only see pictures of them in speedos but is rudy a bro yeah serious bro he wears jean cut off shorts he's not a big bearded 
hairy, bro. And he's like a svelte shaped. Well, he's got a big with a beard. <laughs> he does have. A, he is very svelte. Yeah. yeah, I mean, dude, uh, like the, the the amount of people that are like, "What does Rudy Reyes do?" And I'm like, I think everything. Oils himself. <laughs> I mean, mostly oil, lubricates. I mean, that's like you know, that's like asking a Greek god how they got their physique. I mean, mm-hmm. you just don't, you know, you don't tug on Superman's cape. <laughs> so I actually bring this boy met- back. Okay, bring, I, sorry, back to Rudy Reyes. Yeah, do this. <laughs> we won't go there. Um, no, way back. Yeah, so I did, yeah, definitely didn't start. Okay, if you're a coral biologist, usually what you find pretty quickly is that people got into coral biology because they like love corals. They like sweat these animals. I mean, you hear the stories about like, I got my first snorkel when I was three and I remember seeing my first coral. You get all these heart tear jerkers at conferences and like that shit wasn't me at all. I grew up in New England. <laughs> I didn't know what a coral was. I like knew snow only because, you know, because I had to shovel it. Like <laughs> I just like to be outside. Mm-hmm. And I did my undergraduate at Northeastern and got, um, I started in psychology. Uh, I wanted to do child psychology and I realized pretty quickly that I wouldn't be able to see clients because I just tracked down and killed a bunch of parents because I did like an internship and little kids would come in and complain and I'd be like where do you live so couldn't do that and but so I hot routed um, maybe not for the best but uh, into and I like sat down two years into uni and went to my supervisor and was like this is all the shit I love here's all the classes I've taken like what can I do with my life and they were like, why don't you do earth and environmental science? I was like, what is that? Because I come from a little town with like very little diversity in every sense of that word. So there was like four courses. Um, and I was like, what, what's earth and environmental science? They're like, well, you basically study rocks and you can go outside all day. And I was like, bizzing. <laughs> and so that's what, I got my undergrad in geology, worked for the federal government for five years after that, doing environmental science, um, basically looking at projects that shit all over the earth and uh, how could we remediate that. And then when I, I have always loved science, I've always loved research, have always loved, you know, because for me, it's just exploration. It's the freedom to be able to ask the questions you want, take it upon yourself to answer those questions in a, in a systematic way. It's very gratifying for me. So I knew I wanted to go back and do research. <clears throat> and this is where I kind of cast a wide net, pun intended, to find a master's program. And what brought me to D.C. was I wanted to work for the government part time still while I went back to my, get my master's. Ran into a guy that was like, hey, I'm a coral biologist. I need somebody with a geologic background. And I was really interested in this human environment nexus, this interaction, kind of, John, the questions you were asking, like, is this a natural thing? Are humans really screwing everything up? Where do we play into this natural world? And corals are an incredible system to study because they're very fragile. They're right on the cusp. They're in the marine environment. So they're like the first impacted in the oceans. So you can kind of use them as a litmus test for the rest of uh, ocean life. Um, and that's kind of just how I fell into <laughs> the ocean world. No, but it's I mean, funny. It's, yeah, oh, it's sorry. You no, go first. No, no. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. And that's what I, you know, from your TED Talk and, you know, any of the ancillary research I did, the fact that the coral reefs can be used as a predictive element and model for what's happening. Um, you know, like, you know, as we talked about uh, earlier, that they're extremely fragile and changes even just a, yeah. you know, a point degree of water difference changes. And, you know, uh, all of a sudden North Atlantic currents change and here and the water gets warmer, gets colder, how all of that stuff flows. So, I mean, I'd, I'd love to get into some of your research in that and really just kind of yeah. understand because I like I understand the impact of humans. Um, you know, my, my favorite one and I've been reading a ton on is like CO2 levels. They're like, oh, you know, we got to get rid of all these, uh, you know, cows. They fart too much and it's it's raising methane, <laughs> methane. and CO2 levels. But when they went yeah. back and they looked at like 
all the uh, periods in time where we had these huge flora and fauna and these massive animals like the CO2 levels and, uh, you know, we're through the roof. So it's yeah, like, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's like, that's not necessarily a bad thing. And it, it, yeah, so that's kind of where I was hoping to at least personally get some direction on that. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, the, the, the Carboniferous period, it's like a geologic epoch, which is pretty dope. Like, if there's one time I could go back in time, it'd be in the Carboniferous, where, like, everything was gigantic. Yeah. Like, ferns were the size of sequoia trees, like, massive Whoa. plants, because there's yeah. so much carbon in the atmosphere. <laughs> but if you sneezed, you would start a fire, because, like, there was so much CO2. <laughs> um, so, it, no, it definitely exists. And, and actually... I really love these conversations and this topic because I have a geologic background. So I think of the world in millions of years. So I didn't come into climate research and marine research as a lot of people do looking at kind of looking at humans first. And then you have, you just jump to these assumptions where we're killing everything and it's the CO2. I've been able to look at it from this more long-term perspective, uh, which is good because you do realize, yeah, in the past, there's definitely been CO2 levels much higher than they are now. Um, temperatures where we're at right now is in this cyclical pattern where the past um, couple million years, every 100,000 years, we're in and out. But the big thing, and then we can break it down as much as you want, is what's causing it and how fast. And rate is the biggest issue here with, with what we're the environmental change that we're seeing now. And take corals. I'm sorry to use the same example as one example of that, right? So we have rising sea levels and rising sea temperatures, which we can debate later whether or not that's humans. But in the past, if those were to rise, they would do so at a slower rate where corals could actually adapt and move with sea level changes. So, I mean, some of the um, previous climate changes, we can't pinpoint these exactly rate-wise because we're like looking at rocks, but we're talking on the order of magnitude of like occurred over tens of thousands of years or thousands of years uh, at, the, at the fastest. And we're doing that in decades. And the biggest problem is things just don't have time to adapt. I mean, not, if, not everybody can just up and move Right. If, if um, climate changes, you think about plants, they're not just, you know, those takes hundreds of years for the seeds to travel and move. And then you have this natural selection process that things can exist in warmer temperatures. So the rate that we're changing the environment, that we're causing this global warming, that sea levels are rising, that's the biggest issue we find ourselves in right now. Because the coral has to exist uh, at a certain depth, right? I mean, obviously, the clearer the water, the deeper it can go. So if the sea level rises and all of a sudden it doesn't have access to the sun, then they start to deteriorate. And that's, I think, what we're seeing with like the Great Barrier Reef. Yeah, so absolutely correct. They have to exist in like this certain um, region that gets sunlight, obviously. For, that's why they're successful. We have mesophotic corals, which can exist up to hundreds of meters down, which are super cool. And we don't know that much about because it's really hard for humans to go that deep in the water. But we're learning more and more about them. Um, but the big... The biggest problem we've seen with corals to date globally is, is, is um, thermal bleaching from warming sea temperatures. So, yes, the sea surface rise is a problem, but at the moment, the, the biggest mortality we've seen is from raising temperatures, which is directly related to the increased CO2 uh, in the atmosphere. What, um, what would be like the rate of increase over, let's say, the last 100 years or maybe within like the last 10 as a comparison? Of, of sea temperature rise or yeah, yeah like i mean like like what i mean the great barrier reef's got to be the largest coral 
uh, exhibit in the world, right? Yeah, yeah. So the Great Barrier Reef is the largest contiguous reef system uh, in the world. So, I mean, that, that's probably a pretty good one to look at, like, uh, in, you know, at this time in 18, you know, 21. I mean, what, what was the, the temperature? Because I, I believe we have access to all that uh, compared to like, the last 10 years. Yeah, I, we do. I would lie if I said I had that number off the top of my head for sea temperatures. Um, I know <clears throat> global um, air temperatures have increased about a degree uh, in the last 100 years, and I think most of that has occurred in the last 30 years. I do not know exactly what the, the annual average temperature increase has been. I know in Hong Kong, <clears throat> we've seen, since they've been recording since the 1970s, we've seen about a 0.5 degree Celsius, sorry, I'm all in Celsius, sure. um, increase in ocean temperatures. And that's latitudinally farther north. So we're talking, we're just about at the tip of the tropics. Um, mm -hmm. So we're kind of subtropical. Um, and yeah. Oh, sorry. Go. Oh, no, no. I, I mean, what it sounds like is it's not just one thing. It's probably like a series of things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Humans are really bad at understanding ecological and complex systems. And it's just the way I mean, it's, you just can't understand the earth. So, you know, studying the environment a couple decades ago was all about like, what is this one impact? What happens when I put lead in the water? What happens when I raise the temperatures? What happens when I do this? I mean, the term multiple stressors is just starting to become this common term that we all use, which is basically what we all know, which is like, well, there's a whole bunch of shit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Screw it up. This one area. We don't know how those interact. We don't know um, exactly what those are causing and how that's going to affect growth, animal growth, et cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> And I think just most humans don't have an appreciation for how many people there are and like how much shit goes on in a given day. And my personal experience with this was when me and Ash got married and we had 25 people staying with us like for three days, um, we were in charge of our own garbage <laughs> and like, holy yeah. shit, did we create a ton of fucking garbage? I'm like... I've never seen this much trash. There's a, some sort of joke in here for you guys. No, but, uh, <laughs> the 25 people. <laughs> um, but like, I was just appalled at like yeah. how much garbage there was. And like, and granted, many were beer cans. But we recycled. We were, yes. Yeah. Which well, were recycled, the environment. Right. So then, uh, but still, like, just I, 25 yeah. people made that much trash. So over two days, a hundred years ago, there were 50 million people in this country. Mm -hmm. So in the last hundred years, we've rough, or I think it was 18. Yeah. 1820. Uh, yeah. Or no, I'm sorry. Um, no, it was like, uh, like right around the turn. I think like 1880, I looked, it was like 50 million people. And then in the last 140 years, we basically have gone almost seven times that. I mean, you know, more like six and a half. But and yeah. that's just in this country. And then if you look at like the exponential population, I mean, with China and like one having one kid and what's that done? And then, you know, the, I mean, it's like the impact. And uh, you, you made the best point, like the earth doesn't uh, move fast. Like all no, of a sudden yeah. these things happen. And, it, you know, it's taken millions of years for these things to take effect. And now all of a sudden here we are just, you know, uh, populating this thing and like the impact. And like, like you said, like it could be, you know, people tend to look at this stuff and it same same happens in strength training. Mm -hmm. People look at one movement as like, OK, well, I got better at this or I got worse at this as a way to evaluate it. And that, that's just not the case. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, it, <laughs> you guys you guys need to come over to Asia if you want to see some densely populated areas. Oh, seriously, <laughs> dude. Yeah, yeah. 25 people in a house. That's like spread up. Yeah, was... <laughs> uh, dude, I, I, uh, um, I'm still tripped out, like, just, uh, you know, going to Japan and, like, seeing that and, like, just... Like the uh, like massive humanity is the only way I know how to describe it. I mean, you guys, I, I didn't get to go to Korea when you guys got to go, but man, like mm-hmm. having uh, having seen all that stuff, it just blows my mind. Yeah, it, that's actually so. That's one of the reasons why I came to Hong Kong for my PhD was scientifically, it's super interesting. So Hong Kong is a, I mean, is a part of it that attaches to mainland China, but it's mostly a um, grouping of small smallish islands. And it has seven and a half million people living on it. And only 25% of the land here is even developed. So we're talking about a place squeezed in, like essentially the size of Manhattan. <laughs> and two things, which are really crazy. There was no wastewater treatment or any type of waste treatment until like the 90s. And there were still like millions of people living there. But there's still incredible wide so we have more species of corals in hong kong than the entire caribbean sea uh over 25 percent of the identified marine biodiversity in all of china has been found in hong kong which accounts for like 0.03 percent of the coastline or something like that so it's this fascinating like natural mesocosm this small study of a place where you have this incredible 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 human impact but then also these resilient species that aren't doing great. <laughs> they were doing better in the past. I mean, that's my job, um, but they're still there. And so it allows you to ask a lot of these human interaction questions, which, you know, continuously blow my mind that like anything can live in this water. This is not a picture from Hong Kong, just FYI. Malaysia. I want to say like in the nineties, my parents went to Hong Kong and my mom came home and she's never eaten shrimp ever again. And she's like, uh, she's like, if you saw the, just the pollution and like the filth, like the, the fact that like they're fishing and bringing in stuff, she's like, you, like it would, yeah, she, she's never even looked at shrimp ever again. And she's like, I, yeah. I can't eat it. So, I mean, it's pretty fascinating to think that like, even in these like adverse conditions, which we're probably not set up for that, you know, like we said earlier, life still finds a way to kind of keep trucking along. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and that's, yeah, that's what makes for, for interesting science for sure. <laughs> but yeah, Hong Kong, um, I mean, it's been, a, it's an incredible place culturally, really cool stuff. Insults to the marine environment, they've basically seen it all. I mean, the waters here were fished out into the 80s. And you'll come here. And I, I, so Hong Kong, I believe Hong Kongers consume the most seafood per human of anywhere in the world. Mm. I think that's a pretty solid, like more than Japan and Korea, which I always Mm -hmm. found interesting. And you'll come in, there's this really incredible place called Saikung. So it's like an old fishing port. I liken it to Gloucester, Massachusetts. I used to work in Gloucester, like just crusty old fishermen. It's even up in the Northeast part of uh, Hong Kong. And there's these huge tanks of like all this crazy marine life that you you basically order it and then they cook it for you right there and you eat it at your table. And 90%. None of it is imported. None of it comes from Hong Kong anymore. You can get Maine lobster there. <laughs> no kidding. Um, yeah, and none of it is coming from the surrounding waters. I mean, the water is basically completely fished out, and they're getting it from Japan, the Philippines. Um, everything's imported. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's definitely an interesting place to be. So, John, let's try to maybe educate a little bit. You talked about 
early on you were working with the with the government and trying to understand how big corporations were hopefully unintentionally like shitting all over the environment you know mm. is there anything you can share with us to like give us some perspective on on what that means like like how large like i guess what industries have had what impact and have changed either for the better or the worse um and maybe like scale of that as well because I, I just keep backpedaling to i just don't feel like the majority of people have an appreciation for the scale of like the global population. You know what uh, I mean? And similarly, like to what you're looking at, like the industries that support it. Well, we fail at the margins of our experience. Mm -hmm. So here in the U S we have no concept of like what a billion people is. I mean, we got 330 million in the country. Like what does China have? Like 3 billion people. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's like a, yeah. 1. Yeah. Yeah. Is it 1.8 billion? Yeah. I mean, it's so, I think so like the size, I mean, it's six times bigger than what we're dealing with. And, mm-hmm. uh, just the scale and the size of China. I mean, the fact that like they have completely different ecosystems that exist over the course. I mean, it's just such a massive, massive country that I don't think people can necessarily wrap their heads around. And then the other problem is people here in the U S tend to never travel outside. Mm-hmm. They tend to like only <laughs> yeah. like travel in the U S and now even more with more restrictions, people are traveling even less. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Yeah, China is, yeah, if you want to talk about population. So Hong Kong is at the end of what's called the Pearl River Delta. And this is kind of getting at your question about humans and scale. And it's one, it's being incorporated in this Chinese um, agenda of something called the Greater Bay Area. So this is China's like 50-year plan to, to physically and economically link all of the cities that they have in this area. I think there's 11 cities in total. And they want to basically just turn this into one like megalopolis all around this, um, this river. And, I, and Hong Kong has 7.5 million people. And within, you could take a high-speed train ride. You can get to Shenzhen, which has 12 million people. You can get to Guangxi, which has 14 and a half million people. And then there are two or three other cities that I can't even think of the names of that have between five and 10 million people each. Manhattan, I think, has something like one and a half to two million people. Mm-hmm. And so we're talking on the end of one corner of this part, like small part of China, which isn't even the part of China anyone thinks of, right? We're talking Guangdong province. This is where all the factories are. Everyone thinks northeast of Beijing and Shanghai. Just there's almost... 155 million people living in this little hub, essentially on this one big river, which is like half the population of the entire United States, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. right in this one area. So that's, yeah, for scale, I mean, that, that always blows my mind. And all of that is in one river and it's dumping into the oceans. <laughs> so but, how is that? I mean, <laughs> like, uh, it's pretty easy to say like, hey, that level of pollution, you know, all the different chemicals and everything that are going into affect the, the sea environment. Um, you know, how does that necessarily affect us? I mean, I think people, when they see the sea, like there's this age old thing of like, oh, you know, if the sea dies, we die. I don't think uh, people realize to the extent of what, how true that is. Yeah. So I think, and again, this comes back, I feel to a more U.S., a more American perspective where I almost feel like we don't have as much of a connection to the sea anymore and not to get like philosophical with it, but just, it. we don't, re- we don't, re- <laughs> but I will, no, but we don't rely on the sea or we think we don't 
for our day to day as much as particularly, you know, my knowledge is in Asia, Southeast Asia, where a lot of people are still getting their livelihoods from either fishing, they're getting protection from coral reefs, you know, for as far as their houses living on the coast, or I mean, this part of the world just eats a lot of seafood. I mean, they're getting most, we're talking macros here. They're getting most of their protein and their nutrients daily from like white rice and some type of seafood. And, and those are the types of things that are going away that are unsustainable. And that, that is really where the impact is being felt. I mean, take away the sea level rise that might, you know, wipe out most of our city, most of our cities, it's not doomsday, that might wipe out a lot of cities because everything's built on the coast, et cetera. I mean, it's these like day-to-day functionalities that really get toasted. It's the fact that I'm an expert in marine biology and we still don't really know how much plastic we're consuming for day-to-day and how bad that is for you. And plastic research is just starting now. Heavy metals research is like decades long as far as how that goes up the food chain and we're still not like 100 percent sure what we're eating every day <laughs> mm-hmm. and those are the types of things that that worry me and that you know start almost more indirect impacts that don't slap you in the face right away that come along with this massive population and this pollution is the, the things down the line that you realize like oh yeah can you give us any insight into what we don't know i mean i always think like uh you know you have such a unique perspective that obviously you know Probably nobody listening to this podcast and nobody sitting here on the side of this table uh, has an understanding. I'm just wondering about about those impacts and what you've seen. And more importantly, like, what's the blind spot? What are we missing? What are we not taking advantage or what are we not focusing on? What? Yeah. Yeah. I need to step outside for a second because I'm just so used to thinking of what what I do know from a day to day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't really know. I mean. It's hard for me because I feel like just because I'm such in my bubble, I feel like so much of this is, is polarized for me in the media already. Um, so I don't know what a lot of what people do and don't know. So I'm not really answering this question. Great. I'm trying to think about it. Well, pretend we don't listen to the media and you were trying <laughs> to educate people and giving them a perspective from a marine biologist who's on the ground looking at coral research and how it's affected by everything from water temperatures to, you know, extraneous circumstances like uh, pollution and whatnot in probably one of the most biodiverse places in the world. Yeah. So from a strictly coral perspective, it is, it is pretty, I mean, it's pretty sad. There's, there's, there was a report that came out. uh, I think it was back in like 2016 that says there are truly no more remote places on earth. There's no place where you can't go, where you can't see, some active form of, of human impact. Um, and corals are, are one of the best examples of that. I mean, I've been to some remote middle of nowhere places and you'll still, you know, if people can access them, they'll be fishing them. Um, or you'll have coral mortality due to this like rising temperatures that we've talked about. I think people have guesstimated that we've lost about 50% of um, total shallow water coral cover. So those are coral reefs all around the world. Um, and so my job as a historical ecologist is to kind of go, this is all the stuff we know, sorry. in like the last 30 years, cause my field really took off in the seventies when people, you know, Jacques Cousteau created scuba, the scuba kit. Uh, when that happens, we could get underwater. That's when we really started to research, cut transects, collect data on marine biology. And when we started to document all these impacts, I think what pe- most people don't know is that 
humans have been impacting and the environment negatively for hundreds of years in a really, really bad way. And the Caribbean, <clears throat> the Caribbean is one of the areas that's probably the most studied for corals. And again, a lot of the coral, basic coral biology came out of the Caribbean in the 70s and 80s when they documented these like steep drop-offs. And we had a phase shift where a lot of the corals died and then they were replaced by macroalgae. So kind of just brown algae, which from an ecological perspective is not as uh, doesn't create as much biodiversity. And everyone kind of thought that was happening then. But when you start to take a look at the fossils and you look at the different historical records, you realize that really what we've been doing for the past 200, 250 years has completely reshaped um, the environments and the ecosystem well before anybody really thought we had any impact. Because we always talk about climate change, industrialization, and we always think of it just as like the last 50 years, last couple decades. Mm -hmm. But really, it's, it's been well over the last 200 years that we've been having. Well, it would be the Industrial Revolution, you know, the Industrial Revolution around the turn of the century. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Starting what, was going on, so what was going on in the 1700s that was doing damage? So a lot of kind of your colonial, colonialization time period um, issues are going to be overfishing and slash and burn or the or agriculture or unsustainable mm -hmm. agriculture. And those are going to have two, you know, major impacts on your marine environment, your agriculture, especially if it's slash and burn, or if you're just clearing forests and planting farms, it, it just adds, it adds a lot of extra sediment um, into the oceans and then turns them murky or turbid, mm -hmm. as we would call it. And then, I mean, overfishing is, is the big one. And I think there's, there's a couple of good reports that basically point to like the, the biggest human insult that we've had over the last several hundreds of thousands of years has been how much we've fished hmm. um, and, and how much we've fished unsustainably in different areas. Hmm. Hmm. So like and what's, what is, you, what's an example of sustainable fishing? Like I can imagine that there's just a honeypot of, you know, uh, honeypot of sea life that everybody's going to go just netting and lining and crushing yeah. it. Right. Like well, the idea would be to spread the load or like what's a sustainable practice. You know, if I could answer that and answer it in a really succinct way, I think I would have solved a lot <laughs> of problems right now. Well, isn't it line fishing? I, have it, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like I, uh, my, uh, my next door neighbor in Newport Beach was a guy named Joe, or was, he still is a, a lie, but uh, his name is Joe Capucho, and he owns Del Mar mm -hmm. Seafoods, which is the largest exporter of like squid and sardine in the, in the world. Um, and he owns all, you know, okay. and they basically fish all these sardines and I went fishing with them and they have like 18 days to catch their whole quota. And like, they would go out in these huge ships with these big, just nets and just, you know, scoop up these big sardines. And it was pretty yep. amazing to like, see the, uh, the precision and like, like harbingers of destruction into like that, <laughs> that, that. That's what I called them. I was like, dude, this is crazy. And, uh, like, yeah. I mean, but that was the industry and that's what they do. And it feeds, it's, you know, cheap seafood that feeds the world and the whole deal. So there's this kind of yeah. like need for it. But I remember thinking like, holy shit, either there's a lot of fish or you guys are just really good at catching all these fish. <laughs> yeah. So I, I worked for NOAA, so National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, whatever, whew, for a year. Um, that was my first federal job. And I was up in Gloucester, which is a big fishing port. Um, it's where the perfect storm was filmed. It Fun was. Fact. And do Starring not. John, uh, Wahlberg was in there. Marky Mark um, and Clooney. Marky Mark and oh, Clooney. That's that right. was the and John C. Reilly. And who's the, who's the, the lady? Uh, Diane. Diane Keaton? Lane. Lane? Diane Lane. Just Lane. a bunch of great look. That's a great looking cast. 
It is. It's a good looking one. I'm to... Don't bring that movie up in Gloucester because they all. You know, you're not saying it right. It's Gloucester. Like they got a. Yeah, Gloucester. Gloucester. Yeah, Gloucester. Yeah, you really want to. Yeah, don't say Gloucester. Gloucester. No, because they think all those fishermen were idiots. They're like, they shouldn't have gone into that storm and then a bunch of people died trying to save them. But anyway, you didn't hear that from me. But yeah, I used to go on. <laughs> I used to go out on those boats and the biggest issue actually I wish the biggest issue was trawling or catching all those fish but actually it's what we call bycatch so it's when you're imposed you ha- you can catch 800 pounds of cod today right that's what you're allowed that's your limit you go out and you throw one of your nets you're going to catch 10 times that but you can only keep 800 because why would you keep you know because you can only keep what's legal and you want to sell the best fish so then all the rest of that fish that you don't need, you just throw back and that's termed bycatch. Or if you don't have the license for it, or if you accidentally catch a shark or whatever, <laughs> or, you throw that all dolphin. Back. Yeah. And there's a lot of studies that show that most of that bycatch is not going to make it. Like, what? So it's not What's up with that? Yeah. So, well, I mean, because a lot of, so there's just a bunch like of trauma, ways. the trauma of the. Yeah. So a lot of these fish, they work in different ways. If you're trawling, right, you throw a big net behind you. And you just run through a school of fish. And depending on how long you trawl for, I mean, you're essentially just turning those fish into uh, like a washer machine for a certain amount of time. And then you pull them up and then they're all shoved together. Right. And a lot of times those types of fisheries are keeping can be keeping a lot of those fish. Mm -hmm. But when they're sitting on the deck for a while and you're just throwing them back in, I mean, fish are pretty fragile. So that's not good either. But so it's like those are the. Those are the unsustainable problems. So if you, yeah. to get back to your question of like, how do we sustainably fish? I don't know the answer. I know how we don't sustainably fish. Yeah, so that was helpful. That helped clarify things for me. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of great research out now that, that because like sustainable fishing can exist. You just need to understand the biology of a certain species and you need to know like, when is it reproducing? When is it the best to be catching the fish? Should we be catching the juvenile fish at a certain time, the adult, the old fish? How do we do this? And there are great examples of it in these like small population forms. There's one, um, my friend works for an importing business in New Zealand and they import food. And I think it's crawfish that they've had like nailed their reproduction period. And there's like an overabundance of crawfish and they will only fish it at that one time. And the population is nuts. Actually, because of COVID, they haven't been able to fish and the, the population is like overabundant now. Mm. So, it's, so there should be crawfishing. We should have crowd man. So, the, I mean, there are sustainable ways to do it. The, the issue is, and this is always the issue with environmental topics, is it's, it takes more work. Mm-hmm. And it it's takes more research. Money. Yeah. It takes money. And also, you know, talking about it from different ends of the spectrum, like privilege to non, it's like, yeah, we're talking about mass-produced fisheries right now. But then how do you translate that to other countries that people are more on sustenance living or they're on sustenance fishing? Mm-hmm. So they don't want to hear your biology and they don't want, especially some <laughs> sure. white guy to come in and be like, man, if you fish all this out in a hundred years, they're gonna be like, shut the hell up. I'm trying yeah. to feed my family. So it's well, finding those creative ways. What uh, What's kind of blowing my mind a little bit is, um, you know, I, I think we, 
you're pretty accurate. People think about environmental impact is, you know, within the last you know, generations and 50, 100 years. But it's pretty fascinating yeah. to hear that, yeah. like, the impact of humans has been seen for hundreds of years, and especially with colonialism and, you know, moving around in here and deforestation. And as it's mm-hmm. moving forward, you think about, like, okay, what was the population at this point? Uh, you know, this is the percentage. Now you're exponentially going up this ladder with more and more people. And they think that, like, the rate decrease, it doesn't. It actually exponentially goes. I mean, like you yeah. were saying, the trash, like, Hey, if two people, and, Dude, I, and, and, and I, was, yeah. I noticed this at, uh, when I lived down at the, I used to live in Newport Beach down at the Wedge, and my next door neighbor had a huge house. Like, the house was literally built on every corner, like there was no yard. And there was five people living there. They must have had ten times the amount of trash I did. Like, every day I'd come out, they had, like, six bins, and, like, I had, like, maybe one bin every two weeks, like, one person living there. And I remember seeing them being, like, man, five people, and then now that I have three kids, I realize the amount of trash is, like, it's not just at times, it's actually exponential, it grows. And uh, so, like, as we've been growing as a population, like, the impact, and Mm -hmm. I think when people have these discussions, they don't necessarily go back and be like, well, this is what it looked like 200 years ago. And then people are like, oh, it's fake news, you don't have that research, and you're like, well, as a matter of fact, we do. Yeah, we do. There are stupid people like me that don't get paid a lot of money to do it. <laughs> but it's fun. Yeah, you know, it's it's the population that's been exponentially growing with, with like human affluence, right? So it's the fact that we're getting better at making the things that we want and we want to make everything easier. And as we do that, those usually, you know, things have to be sacrificed. We want to eat fruit all year round in the United States. So therefore we're shipping it from all around the world in plastic packages to keep it, you know, healthy mm-hmm. or to keep it healthy, to keep it a product that we can have. Um, you know, we, we want things to last for a long time so that we can ship them all over. So we have to wrap them in plastic so that they don't get exposed to oxygen and don't go bad. So it's like all of these access affluence issues that really exponentially make it a problem, right? It's not just the population. It's like, what is the population doing? Mm -hmm. So you brought that up a few times, the idea of like plastic and our food source and like the leaching plastic, which if you've ever dive in and done any research on that, you probably just like shut your computer after a while. No, I'm good. I'll just forget what I read. Yeah, like the leaching plastic stuff in terms of like environmental impact. And like, I always think it's pretty fascinating when they look at how it affects humans. They don't necessarily look at men because women have such a much more uh, fragile, I guess you could say like uh, a... reproductive system and how it affects us. I mean, dudes are basically like eat a bowl of cockroaches. We'd be fine for the last couple hundred thousand years. But Mm. when they look at this and like, you'll hear like six year old girl has hysterectomy and you know, these other issues you're like, you know, like, you know, and they're relating it to leaching plastic and all the other you know pieces that that come out. And it's like, Oh God, I don't want to read this. Yeah. So I always thought of plastic. So the Romans used to line some of their wine pots with, um, with lead because they found that it sweetened their wine. And we would always look back and be like, oh, those idiots. They were drinking lead. No wonder why they were fucking dumb and Rome fell. I, like if we make it another couple hundred years, I feel like humans are going to look back and be like, they put their food in plastic? They microwaved in plastic? Those fucking morons. Because <laughs> for all of these reasons that you're talking about, right? It's like, it's such a it's such a black box of what it's leaching. Like plastics and nanoparticles, those things are like what keep me up at night. I'm like, oh man, I'm going to die when I'm 40. Like, I don't know. But um, They're fucking yeah, everywhere I, too. Well, like uh, if you slow down and you think through your day and you go like as you're grocery shopping and like, it's just bonkers. And then the things that are in plastic come in plastic 
And then that stuff like comes in plastic and then the things yeah. like it's just a weird Russian doll situation that's like uh, it's plastic inside plastic of plastic. It, plastic yeah. Yeah. It, I mean like yeah. just I mean like I was thinking about like uh, the meat for example so um, yeah. I shot a couple deer sent them the processor and what do they do they shrink wrap them in plastic Plus, you know yeah. that, you know and you bring them in and even though they're wrapped you know some of it's wrapped in paper other than it's just like oh my god you can't can't get away from it mm-hmm. and even if you go to the to the butcher and it's underneath the glass and he pulls it out and puts it in white paper it was probably in plastic getting there power athlete nation what's happening this is luke before we get going any further i want to announce to you that we are offering the chance of a lifetime we have the gift that just keeps on giving and and that's right at the power athlete shop if you purchase a gift certificate of 75 dollars or more you will automatically be entered to win a life-changing coaching experience from john wellborn tex mcquilkin and the power athlete block one coaching network well in excess of three thousand dollars the package includes a 360 degree initial assessment 10 live coaching sessions custom programming custom nutrition to support your training and your goals this is life-changing you can take it and you can use it or hey maybe you give this as a gift so ladies and gentlemen if you want to learn more about what we have going on winners are going to be announced on christmas so head to the link in the show notes or go to pahq.co slash miracle back to it yeah oh yeah of course yeah, pla- I mean, plastic's the, the wonder creation that we made. And it's incredible, especially from like a medical perspective of what it's yeah. allowed us to do. But yeah, the, the, now the more we dig into it, we're like, oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> this, is, this is not going to be good. Um, and yeah, and, and microplastics, you know, to bring it back to the marine world are now just another research agenda of how we're screwing things up because you know you know there's the plastic everybody thinks about that's floating the big trash pit in the middle of the pacific ocean but a lot of it is when it starts to break down a little bit and biodegrade and then things start to eat it or and then we eat it that's when we're finding it's it's a bigger and bigger problem and there are now so that's the microplastic is when it as it just kind of becomes small enough sunlight breaks it down right Mm -hmm. yeah and then yeah all microplastic means is its size it's on a micrometer scale it can be any type of plastic it can be microparticle it can be anything like that but it's just like when the plastic bag starts to break down when things start to degrade and then they get mixed into the environment or the ecosystem in, in, in an unnatural way and then that's when you start getting whale stomachs that are full of plastic and all these different things that we start to see. Mm-hmm. And those, again, those are like physical impacts. Like I ate a plastic bag and that shit was bad, mm-hmm. but it's, it's the leaching and it's all the chemicals that they're made with because plastic is a byproduct of, of processing oil. Right. So it's, those are the things that we don't really know mm-hmm. about yet, mm-hmm. and, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to be good <laughs> once we found out more. Mm. This is a super uplifting conversation. This well, is like kind of my whole life. Everything's so. fine. Nothing is fucked, dude. <laughs> yeah, like like the meme with like the the dog, the, the puppet looking yeah, this the way, and then the other one looking black. this way. Like, no, I mean, I mean, and and I think that's uh like uh, like one of my favorites I heard the other day was uh, oh it's all these cars and the pollution you know from uh, you know fossil fuels and this and what they don't realize is it's just one of those big diesel pushers that's coming across the Pacific Ocean from China full of you know crap from Amazon is like yeah. equal to like half of the pollution from like one car, you know, from cars in this country. So it's yeah. pretty interesting that like they, they do a really good job, at least in the media and, and other ways to like point the finger at like you as the consumer, it's your problem. You're driving this car and you're like, 
No, that's not really the problem. It's probably Jeff Bezos and Amazon <laughs> and all this is probably a greater indicator of the problems that we're seeing. Yeah. Yeah, because I still believe, I mean, on a, on a strictly like singular unit, like flying is by far the worst thing that can be done as far as CO2 emissions, uh, like to, to the environment. Um, so, it's, you know, you're, you talk, you hear about your carbon footprint, like how much carbon do you emit a year? If you take like one or two international flights, that's well over 50%. Like everything else you do is not going to equate to that. So flying is, is really not good for both the reasons of how much jet fuel produces carbon emissions and then also that you're higher up in the atmosphere so it's like instant into our stratosphere <laughs> so where good. we lived in newport beach uh i lived in um dover shores which was like the back bay which uh was right in john wayne's flight path so uh <laughs> when, when we moved in it was kind of over there and then at some point they moved it like three degrees and they used yeah. to f- literally fly over our backyard and i was down in florida at ken ford's uh, institute of human and machine cognition and we were just kind of rapping and he like pulled up on his computer and he's like do you know how many carcinogens are out in vaporized jet fuel all that you know all that okay. soot that's falling and he like went through and pulled this thing up and i was like we got to fucking move. He's like, dude, that's yeah. falling on your house. It's falling in your pool. And I, I would go out like every other day and I would just hose everything down. Cause there was just so much, uh, like black dust. Ash, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. everywhere. And I, you know, you just hose it down. You kind of like, Oh, you're sitting back there in your pool as they fly over. And I remember that, that discussion with Ken Ford being like, Oh shit. Like oh. he's like, <laughs> you don't want to live in a flight path. Here's all the research of people that, and the problems that they've encountered living within a flight path. And I was like, okay, yeah. that was, we got to go. Yeah. No. Yeah. Not ideal for your for your direct human health. No. And then, you know, sustainability is interesting, too, because now we're people are starting to look into more like blockchains on their products. Right. And um, so, yeah, there's the direct impacts of breathing in jet fumes, which is not good. And then everyone, as, as we move into like a green movement and people try and eat and be more sustainable because they think that's solving the problem. And John, this is getting back to like what you were saying about like, is the consumer the problem or the delivery? But it's like, yeah, I, I now eat this organic food. And it's like, sweet, where'd that organic food come from? Mm-hmm. Did it come from like right around where you live? Or did it get shipped here from Canada? Yeah. And then that organic food sat on a plane. And then what did we actually do? What did we achieve mm-hmm. as far as carbon emissions, right? So I feel this leads us into the reason that I reached out to get you on is your, your <laughs> TED Talk. And you had the opportunity to combine your enthusiasm for movement, strength training, and fitness. Yeah with your passion for the environment. So that, that onus that your conclusion led to in our Ted talk, I don't want to spoil it for our listeners, but talk about that process to, to create this opportunity for your message in that talk. Yeah, no, I would love to. I mean, so this talk actually came about, I've been steaming over giving a talk like this for a while And it came about from when I used to think the complete opposite, where for, I mean, I've been a competitive athlete essentially my whole life, not really good at it, but doing it my whole life. And also a scientist essentially since I left high school into uni. And I've always looked at them as like two completely different parts of my life, right? Like I I do my science and I I do my meathead stuff in the gym and they're, they're very separated and that's how I like it. And that's why I'm happy. But I think it was, probably in my master's in DC is when I really, and I we used to tell people this, right? Like, oh, that's how I stay sane is like I separate myself into two different humans. But really the reason I love science is because it's the gym for your brain. I mean, that's all it is. The scientific method is the same thing as 
as as working out right you you have some you have a goal that you want to achieve so you have a goal you have a program i have a question and then you go through a certain methodology right you go through your written program in science you go through the scientific method that's your experiment at the end you assess it did this work did i achieve the results that i wanted yes cool do i want to do it again or no it didn't work well let me reframe that and then try that again and i mean that is science to a t and that is the gym to a t and i found that my lives are actually the same. <laughs> that's what and I was just doing the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. And that's when I really discovered that the reason I was so, well, not, you know, pat myself on the back. The reason I had such success in science, like all the, all my successes I learned in science, I built in the gym. And really it comes down to that mentality, that competitive mentality, that ability to break things into small bite-sized pieces and to really build upon that to achieve a goal. And, you know, I split my talk into four parts where I talk in it's climate focus because the event was um, countdown on climate change. So they wanted us to speak to the climate crisis uh, specifically, but for me, it, it was coming much more from, you know, from a climate conservation and just a general, mentality perspective on climate change and if you ask me my personal opinion on why is climate change such an issue and why is the movement not really getting any traction because we've known about it for 100 years and at least since the 60s and 70s is because we've just kind of mentally shut down humans aren't great when we have like no-win situations and that's how climate and climate change is always presented to us like we can't eliminate all our emissions oh you want to solve it you have to stop driving forever you have to do all you know all these things and people just shut down. They're like, no, I don't want to deal with that. I don't see a way to win, right? But and for me, it was very simple to get over because I looked at it just like the gym. I don't go into the gym and I, you know, I use the example of the Olympics because I do Olympic weightlifting. And it's like, I don't just go in and be like, well, didn't make the Olympics today. Guess I'm just going to quit. <laughs> right. I mean, the whole point of fitness, the whole point is, you know, it's stupid. To, it's the journey, not the destination, right? The whole point of you waking up early and going to the gym is that the day-to-day grind and you're progressively getting better. And I give the example, like if you make it all the way to that game and you lose, but then you look back and you're like, well, shit, I've been training for this for three, for three months. Am I a better human? Am I a more fit human? Am I healthier? Did I gain muscle? Did I achieve all these things that led me up to this point and therefore has, has progressed me forward? Yes. So it's still a win. And if people kind of use what I call the athletic mentality to frame problems, and it doesn't have to be climate. We, I talked about it in my talk. I think we'd see a lot more success because people look at the end goal and they're like, well, it's unachievable. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you whether or not changing our climate footprint is. But what I am going to tell you is that all those little day-to-day changes you make, do you eat a little bit more locally? Do you reduce things that are getting shipped, they're going to decrease the amount of plastic in your life. And we already talked about how bad plastic is. They're going to have indirect infect, uh, impacts on pollution and, and the marine environment. And those are little wins that you're going to get along the way, whether or not we achieve what we need to at the end. And you talked a little bit about people's argument <laughs> against climate change in there. And they're like, well, let, show me the research. And then you <sighs> counter with the, the fitness enthusiast or Nobody's asking like for the, the research against exercise. Well, we you talked about make it personal uh, when we were, we were talking about when people are like, oh, have you um, I'm, you know, you got to do your research. I'm like just watching endless YouTube videos. is not research. Yeah. 
no, and like, and you know, and this is something I. But the flat Earth, John. I actually had a conversation <laughs> about this. Uh, Paul Carter called me yesterday, and um, I don't know if you know Paul, but he's uh, um, he's a writer and just a you know like a strength fitness kind of bodybuilder dude. Um, mm. We've had him on the podcast, but he, he was like, you know, I don't know when everybody thought that their opinion mattered. And he's like, uh, he's like, dude, you played in the NFL for 10 years. Like you have a, a, an interesting perspective about football. He's like, yeah. if I were to call you up and uh, tell you my opinion, he's like, you'd probably listen to it because you're a friend of mine. But he goes, at the end of the day, you're going to be like, you know what the fuck you're talking about? Like most yeah. of the sports yeah. pundits and that. And he's like, we, that happens in fitness all the time. One guy goes to the gym one time and, you know, now all of a sudden their opinion matters. <laughs> and that because they have this opinion, we have to respect it. And he's like, I constantly are running into people. He's like, I don't value your opinion because you've never done anything that allows me to uh, put you as an expert. You know, I mean, for somebody who's physically doing the research, who's in Hong Kong working on their PhD, that this is their whole life, I feel like your opinion probably has more weight than like the dude who with a YouTube channel who's like, oh, this is all a big fucking scam. But I've never I've never seen a coral reef. I've never done the research. I've never looked at like the geological effects and the history and the fossils. And I've, I've done none of this. But because I have this median to present my opinion, like yeah. IE social media, now all of a sudden my opinion matters the same as yours. Oh, yeah. I, I, nothing gets me riled up more than like the, the, you know, the, the Twitter trolls. And I'm sure for you guys all the time on, for, for lifting, when people just say complete nonsense and they're like, oh, well, I, I looked in, I, I, I researched it. I'm like, oh, did you, you research it. Yeah. So you, you, you like got a four year degree where you were beaten down by people smarter than you for your entire, for the entire time you know, forcing you to read more papers and every time you present something telling you why it wasn't good enough, which forced you to be better and which weeded out the people who weren't better and then propelled you forward. And then you took independent research. You did a literature review where you read hundreds of papers that were both for and against your opinion so that you could form your own opinion. And then you talked to experts like, is it, is this the research? this youtube video uh, and now oh, i'm doing yes. my research no i mean it, it dude it absolutely flames me like uh, yeah. like like sets my hair on fire especially with like um you know uh like strength training and performance and whatnot like uh like at the at the end of the day um yeah. you know we have an interesting perspective here at power athlete because not only we've we been providing training for over a decade but uh we have literally hundreds of thousands of data points for tens of thousands of people that let us know like, Hey, here, here are the truths that we've seen that correlate with what we've seen within the research and what we've known for the last hundred years. And just because, you know, this idea that you had and this didn't work for you or this and doesn't make it any less true. Yeah. You're, you're one, you're an N of one. No scientist would give you any credibility. (laughs) We need a couple more examples. Yeah. yeah, Well, I mean, it's like a, at the end of the day, like my theory on like climate change and the, and the you know, and uh, I, I hate the term like global warming because if like you said, yeah. like the earth has been warming and cooling for in a cyclical cycle yeah. for, you know, like you said, every hundred thousand years. So it's kind of an interesting thing. And, and when people are like, no, there's no this. I'm like, dude, there is you'd have to be a crazy person to say that their humans have not impacted the environment in any way. And yeah. I, and I could. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say, and, I, and those are the people that I enjoy talking to because I can just shut it down anytime, you know, kind of anything that somebody brings up to me, I've been pretty confident about how I can reverse it and be like, no, this is how it actually is. And I, I'm not even, the, I'm not even considering myself like a super tree hugger, like someone who's just like, humans are the devil. This is all bad for all these reasons, but it's just a fact. You just, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, you just can't, you're right. You can't avoid the idea that billions of people haven't had some impact. 
Well, I mean, uh, there were, you know, uh, around the, uh, you know, I think it was 1850, whatever, there was, what, 70 million, 65 million head of buffalo in this country. And then we had this, like, systematic execution where we basically eviscerated them down to, like, 500. And, like, that, I mean, just that environmental impact in terms of our soil. And then you look at, like, you know, uh, the Dust Bowl and the grapes. Around. I mean, like, all, like, it, like, you'd have to be an absolute crazy person to say that, that this didn't, this impact didn't result in this. And, yeah. uh, like that's, a that's a hard thing when people are just so like, like you said, like, uh, it's one or none. No, there's no impact. I don't see it. This isn't, you know, and I'm like, dude, yeah. like, uh, the politicians, uh, aren't like they're, they're in Washington DC. They're, they're not in the coral reefs. They're not looking at this stuff. So, I mean, at least on this podcast, it's always nice to bring on experts and people that are actually in the field so we can get a, an unfiltered view of really what's happening, you know, without this, uh, social media and kind of the media lens and mouthpiece. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, I think in my personal opinion is one of the, the greatest failures of, of the climate movement and why we kind of have this incredible dichotomy of opinions when, when really, you know, there, there's, there was a famous, I think it was an MIT study that showed like over 98% of scientists agreed like, yeah, climate change is a thing. It's human driven. Like wh why are we even still talking about this? Right. But it's because it became political. I mean, and you, you know, I look back to Al Gore's inconvenient truth, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but that's like, in my opinion, one of the first media stories I remember around climate change when he made that like hour and a half movie. But that instantly in the United States turned it political and made it red versus blue. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, so there, and just like everything else in our, our, you know, in our system, it's like, then we just don't, then we just don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a Democrat said it. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't believe it. Or a Republican said it. When like environmental policy that started back in the seventies was unanimously voted by both Republicans and Democrats, because we're like, no, this is this is more than just an environmental question. This is leads back to health and leads back to environmental health. And like, how is that going to impact our citizens? Mm -hmm. And nowadays it just becomes, yeah, it's media polarized. It's what came out of my mouth. And then it's like, nah, I don't want to believe in that. So have, uh, have, have you observed any impacts? I mean, obviously we're in this, uh, what are we probably like nine, 10 months into this COVID deal where all of a sudden there was a huge shutdown in international travel and people aren't moving as much. Have you seen a, mm -hmm. uh, any form of like impact or is it still kind of steady? Does it slowed? Is there, I mean, it, you know, could somebody really come forward and say, Hey, you know what, based on the rate at which things are going, this is the, this is how much we have for time before this becomes unreversible. And here's the steps that we have to put in place to necessarily mitigate this. Are you, um, you're talking about negative impacts because of COVID? Yeah. Or a positive, imp uh, I guess you could say positive impacts. Yeah. So that's, what's interesting. So, um, most of it is anecdotal because we haven't been able to collect, you know, a lot of data during the time, but actually, uh, Hong Kong is really good about tracking water quality monthly. And by diving, we've noticed like water quality has improved drastically in the months, um, during COVID because, you know, China had to shut down a lot of their factories for like months at a time. And then you hear all these stories, um, you know, in the media or in the news all around the world where, like people in Kathmandu could see um, Everest for the first time ever, like in their lives. They didn't even know they could see it from their city, right? Because because like the um, the pollution had cleared up because no one was burning anything, and fish came back to Venice, <laughs> yeah. and like people could see water in Venice. So you get like little anecdotal stories like that that show you, and and there's actually been arguments. This is none of this is scientific, 
right? But it's scientists kind of writing their opinions. We've argued kind of both ways on whether this is good and bad because it shows people a little bit of hope where it's like, oh man, look at like how the world can rebound. But it also reflects how drastic our change has to be mm-hmm. to see these impacts, right? To see these positive impacts. And that gets back to my point before where humans aren't really good in situations where we don't think we can win or where we really need to change something to get it, to get to what we want. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's almost been for a lot of us, like a slap in the face, like shit. So it takes a global pandemic to shut down for us to see these like incredible changes in one season. Mm-hmm. So it, it, yeah, it's, it's definitely been interesting to kind of tease that apart. Well, is it <laughs> isn't mother nature? I mean, if you whether or not you believe, uh, you know, origins or whatever, but I always think mother nature is pretty, sh- pretty sharp. I mean, oh, it's, yeah. you know, she survived, uh, you know, six mass extinctions, huge asteroids that hit. Like, I always think like, uh, you know, are humans the worst thing that's ever happened to this? And more importantly, how did she rebound after? I mean, she probably just wipes it clean and starts over again at some point. Yeah. So this is really a cool topic. I mean, I can't recall what, what they're labeled, but there's basically two major hypotheses. They're old school hypotheses in conservation biology. So the biology about conserving the environment. And it's, you know, are humans part of the ecosystems, part of the environment? So I like to think of it as like, are human spiders in all of our cities are spider webs? Like, are, is that just part of what we're doing? Or are we completely removed extraterrestrial to that, right? And the environment is the earth happening on its own and everything humans do are removing from it. And there, there's no difference in the end game except for how you view humans uh, and how we are impacting the world. And looking at it like that, and then again, as I kind of brought up before, how I have this geologic perspective, I, I will tell anybody this, even the climate deniers, whatever, climate change is not an earth problem. It's a human problem. I mean, short of us dropping or you know something i don't know all of our nukes all at once and like nuclear wintering this earth there's not a ton and you know i don't want any like environmental people in my life to get all crazy but there's not a ton that we're going to do that like in a hundred thousand years the earth isn't gonna have healed over now are we going to cause extinctions are certain details of that going to be irreversibly changed absolutely but are we going to stop earth functioning no it's a human problem and it's how much humans both want to continue to exist sustainably and how much we care about what currently exists or coexists with us and those are the two things that we have to find a balance for um and i think that's also something that people kind of lose and when people start to get into an argument about climate change it's like no yeah i mean if you're around in a hundred thousand years congratulations you will have you know <laughs> lived through all the worst shit that we can do but you ain't and that's the big problem right, right, right. and that's what we really need to be talking about mm-hmm. send them so. to mars uh, but <laughs> my boy elon he's got this thing he's in, he's working on yeah but here's an interesting thing like okay let's fuck mars up <laughs> <laughs> well, i think i think mars is already fucked up well, so i mean like it, where do know, we get our hands on i mean it's not an environment we can live in so what are they going to do like straight up like total recall build bubbles and like we, let people well build mars them? is smaller than earth so i mean yeah. there's let it's easier for us to fuck it up because there's mm-hmm. less well you saw total area. recall where they the documentary you know, yeah. yeah the documentary where they pump all the ice in and colin all of a sudden, farrell or arnold schwarzenegger, uh, schwarzenegger. Colin farrell they didn't go to mars whoa i didn't even oh i didn't even know there was a, a, a second total recall well 
Jessica Biel. You don't Biel recall and, that? Oh, I'm, I mean, I'm a big Jessica Biel fan. <laughs> I worship her all Minor. Her, let's just say her and Kate Beckinsale get into a, a fight. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, we might have to put that out there. I mean, the... so. Uh, I mean, I I, uh, I have a feeling that a lot of your research uh, is probably like, oh, I wish I didn't read that. Oh, man, I wish I didn't yeah. read that. Um, <laughs> is there any positives? Like, is there anything where you look and you're like, oh, okay, I need to go, you know, like this was a an unexpected ray of sunshine or is it all just doom and gloom and like, oh, fuck. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, I mean, the, the biggest positive is kind of exactly what I just said is how incredibly resilient nature can be and the earth can be like uh, let, let you know set aside it's got billions of parasites on it um <laughs> is that it, it can rebound and you can have corals in a place like hong kong i mean that's a, that shit com- continuously blows my mind and that if you do if you do the research and you do the hard work and you do the right things you can see some change so in hong kong i'm like the historical guy right so i look, look at a whole bunch of old dead shit and i talk about what used to be there and then I show you what's there now. And then we try and figure out what, what it was that caused the degradation, right? And in Hong Kong, it's all water quality. But then other people, so we figured that out. And the government has actually started to clean up the water quality in the area. Not because of me, but they were doing it. But then there are specific bays where they've really focused in on this remediation. And now there's a, another uh, PhD in the same lab as me. And she's doing coral restoration. So she's bringing corals that were once there and we know they were there because I collected the fossils and I did that historical research and they should be there naturally. And now that the water's cleaned up, she has this massive 3D printed reef. So they're printing these big tiles out of terracotta and then she's transplanting corals that are now growing, um, which were there, you know, 200 years ago or 100 years ago. And she's brought them back and now, you know, 100% survival rate and they're starting to bring fish back and biodiversity back to the area. So there are absolutely positive stories do the positive stories usually take work to get to yeah <laughs> but they do exist um and those are the types of things that you try and latch on to when mm-hmm. when yeah your daily dose of life is like oh well here's another day of uh researching how humans are screwing everything up so when you look at like let's go into that coral transplant like technology so that yeah. whole pipeline of that project, which sounds bonkers, <laughs> do you have to then take into consideration like carbon footprint of all that work? The, so, yeah, I mean, the carbon footprint of the actual research is is fairly minimal. I right. mean, a lot of it is and like I guess production, power. like production research industry and, and scaling that operation up, let's say. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, a lot of the, so a lot of the reasons we went with, for example, the materials that we did is like terracotta is really easy to work with and it's natural. So it will just break down and it will break down its clay into nothing harmful in the marine environment. So it's a natural product. And yeah, you have to heat it up and like put it in an oven to to, um, furnace it. But yeah, kind of, I mean, what you're what you're bringing up is that idea of what I think of as like this blockchain. Yeah. Of yeah like the, or, the organic blueberries, but yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, I, people are starting and there are, there are small like NGOs and companies coming out that are starting to do this where they're, mm-hmm. um, 
basically monitoring your carbon footprint in every step of every process that you do. Uh, it has not really made its way to the sciences yet. So yeah. I don't, I don't actually know, but I was just curious. you know, if I, if I had, no, it's a good question. If I had to go with my gut, I would hopefully think that we're doing more positive than negative. Right. Right. <laughs> Man, just, again, scale, like just the understanding the whole yeah. web is so massive. Um, so with that said, like, what are the tried and true steps that all of our all of our loyal listeners can maybe latch on to to put a little dent in this bad boy? Ooh, nice. Yeah. No, I, yeah. Listen to my TED Talk. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can. And then forward it to all your friends and relatives. And then forward it to all your friends and then like it. I mean, not that I'm self-promoting at all. No. <laughs> if you made it through 90 minutes to this podcast and you want another 20 minutes of my bullshit, go for Well, the it. thing I was laughing um, about your podcast or uh, your TED Talk was like, you know, it's getting into this and it's so jiggy, but then there's probably some lady over there who's like talking about like, um, you know, words that transcend love and has like, <laughs> 10 million views it's like when i looked at doc parsley's ted talk on sleep and it's like this stuff is so important and he's got like twelve thousand views and yet you know somebody oh, yeah. else has got seven billion views based on like you know trying to you know find the natural harmonics of justin timberlake i'm like mm. oh my god great that was a great ted talk though <laughs> i'll link that uh, on the show I, 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 so i link a, a different ted talk yours is actually linked up for <laughs> the coming week on uh, johnny wad and uh, so I go through and I just kind of look for these like anywhere from like six to 20, 30 minute TED Talks. And I put like Jordan Peterson and I always ask people like, hey, watch a TED Talk. Let's have an intelligent conversation, which doesn't yeah. necessarily happen that often. Uh, but like it's pretty amazing that like the more educational and like the really good shit, like people are just like, nope, I want to learn about Justin Timberlake. Well, it's heavy, man. Like going back to what John was saying <laughs> is like you get to a point where something's just too much to handle. And you're like, I'd rather just look at Justin Timberlake slides <laughs> and, and, and cat memes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I guess to answer your question, yeah. Where to begin, huh? Besides looking at my Ted talk or, you know, mm -hmm. Justin Timberlake. Ted talk. No, you know, the first thing is to realize that you should be doing something and even little things are important. But I actually, when I talk to people, I'm like, be, be selfish. When you start to think about how can you, in, how can you improve climate change? Mm -hmm. Don't even think about it like that. It's like, how can I do stuff to improve my life or to improve my health or to improve, you know, my children's life? And usually you'll find that that's not like adding more plastic to yourself, mm -hmm. right? It's those, those more healthy, and that's an umbrella term, or sustainable things are actually going to benefit you. And then they tend to benefit the environment as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, from a U.S. centric perspective, you know, start thinking about, can I, can I source more food locally? Can I, and you know, that, it's like a double whammy. So I get food locally. It's triple whammy. Usually that means it's less processed. Boom. It's healthier. Usually that means it's traveled less. So that decreases your carbon footprint probably means you're supporting local businesses, which is like, I should be a politician, right? That's what everyone wants nowadays. So support mm -hmm. something a little bit locally. So it's boom, boom, boom. Um, so let's you know, get, and, and speaking of locally though, John, let's get really local. I'm, I'm going <clears> to <throat> maybe start in this room here. Now let's say, would this be a good thing or a bad thing, John? You're the expert, of course. And John, you can chime in as well. Let's say you have a colleague that you work with and every <laughs> day you sit across from him at lunch and that colleague grabs a plastic fork from the plastic fork thing 
uses that fork and throws it away. And then the yeah. next day, you know what this fucking asshole does? Gets another plastic fork. Yeah, and he does it for years at a time. Years. You know what we need to do? Just throw away all the plastic forks. And like, let's say you make a suggestion like, hey, Tex, you fucking ass, use a metal fork. Or Chinese, <laughs> fork, or, or use chopsticks. And what he does, he takes it and he breaks it. And he's like, Oops. <laughs> no, you throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> then you're throwing so, it away. Is that an example of a good environmental practice? Does or a he bad take the lighter and like light it on fire and then huff the fumes after? Well, he, he blows it into a balloon and squeezes it in my face. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. So that's a pop quiz. Yeah. What's the research? Yeah, on that? I mean, it's basically it's what we call just being a big lazy ass. Mm. I mean, you really it's a, <laughs> huge bitch. I, just huge bitch. Like to it, stand so. Up. These are the these are. <laughs> I These are the little up for things myself. I talk about. You gonna start up? You can it, please. It's twenty twenty. Tell me the benefits. I now have a fork, mm-hmm. and I keep it in the okay. refrigerator. So I did make a. Oh, I, I know took it's a there. Personal responsibility, as represented in John's TED talk. I do got to say, I know it's there. I noticed it, and uh, similar topic, but slightly different. So, John, I got this rash right in like <laughs> my groinal area. <laughs> And every day I come in early and I scratch it with this fork. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. Nothing nothing feels better. And every day I hit it. And And then you put it back in the fridge. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because because you want mm -hmm. the bacteria to not die so that you keep it nice and cool. So that's actually from stealing Harvard. (laughs) There's a scene where, like, uh, Tom Green's brushing his teeth. And who's the dude from Scrubs? Uh, the dude, the from John Scrubs. C. Cox. Yeah, something like that. He's, he's from anyways, Wall like, Street. I've got this toothbrush. Uh, anyways, yeah. Oh, so that's don't worry. worry. <laughs> His ass. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a big elaborate uh, ploy to just get to that line there. But no, Tex uh, at one it, point was reusing, for the record. Dr. Cox from Scrubs, but his mm-hmm. name is John C. McGinley. Yeah, that, man, that's one of my favorite uh, scenes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Perry Cox. <laughs> Um, yeah, sorry, I just want to jam text up on that because he knows that it bothered me for a while. But then he started reusing the plastic because in Texas defense, he's a bachelor and has one fork at his house. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, <laughs> dude, when I lived by myself and, and I was in the here. NFL, I remember I, I had like one plate. I had, I had like I had just one set because nobody ever came over. And then people yeah. came over and you're like, I guess I gotta go get mm-hmm. some more plates. Mm-hmm. And then at one time he picked a spoon up on accident instead of the fork, and then he suffered through using that spoon for like two weeks to make it reusable. <laughs> so I give you credit, pal. I, I oh, recognize well, the change. We have these knives that John gifted us, <laughs> and I use this same knife every day for three years <clears throat> for food and cutting open plastic. Boxes of Yeah, boxes and, and stuff. <laughs> my knife. Oh, oh hey, show that, show that again, John. That's, oh, my oh. handy, my handy knife. That's not a knife. That's fork. my buddy bought it for me. Yeah, so That's it's legit. A, you can you can use it to open bivalves actually. Oh. <laughs> ah, okay, all right. But, uh, also good for also good for the field. <laughs> but uh, I don't forget how we got on that. I just need uh, to get, nobody I needed knows. to let the. You just need to rag on text. Okay. We didn't need he does now <laughs> have a second fork, um, which in hindsight I don't know why I just didn't bring a fork for you. <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, uh, I got I've got a, so many forks. I got a fork for you. Yeah. Uh, wait till you get more kids and all of a sudden the forks just start disappearing and I'm convinced that my kids are throwing them away. Because mm-hmm. I was like, hey, wait a minute. We used to have like a set of like seven or eight of each of these and now we're down to three. Sp- I'm like... Oh, yeah, no. They were down here eating lunch with Tex and he's like, oh, I just throw them away. Every just, time. Like, That's a really good idea. Yeah, then we just throw them. I'm like, oh, these fucking kids. <laughs> <sighs> God, <buddy. laughs> That's how the world ends is Texas forks. 
Uh, no, so how does the world end? I mean, uh, that's an oh, interesting yeah. thing. Like, I this mean, I, I, I think oh. that this is probably seeing as that your brother's a infectious yeah. disease biologist and you are a marine biologist with this uh, ancestral kind of, you know, approach. I'm wondering <laughs> in your layman's more than the layman's theory, how does this whole thing end? Is it a big rock that hits us? So time out. Can I we also clarify something here? Because like you said, yeah. Hu- the world as humans know it, or the actual planet, the world becomes a I'm barren saying, wasteland. How do human? No, um, I, I believe. How does the, human life that the, cease to the, exist? The fact that, like, I mean, I, I forgot how big that they estimated the rock that hit the Yucatan in the last one. It was what, like, how big six is, miles wide or yeah, something. Yeah, six foot four, yeah. two hundred and sixty-five <laughs> pounds. I think the rock is. Yeah. So. <laughs> Aim for the bushes. <laughs> You're on and, fire today. And so, uh, uh, like, this rock hits, and, like, you know, all of a sudden this earth gets, or uh, all, all this dust gets pushed up in the environment, and we have this, like, nuclear winter mm-hmm. that kills 90% right. of all life. And so, yeah. and Mother Nature still finds a way to Yeah, earth do. is still here, right. So I'm wondering, how does this end for mankind? Yeah, great question. Um, I, oh man, I have talked about this a lot. Usually I'm drinking a lot more uh, of the alcoholic substance when I get really down into these. <laughs> well, when we because, come to Hong Kong. Yeah, when you come to Hong Kong, please. You, oh man, you guys love it. A lot of good gyms out here too, actually. You guys are the, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, but uh, yeah, me and my brother talk about this a lot. Um, and, you know, the sad truth is, <clears throat> I think it's probably a lot less exciting than we want it to be. So there's going to be some big, pandemic or some huge environmental disaster and we're going to start to see pockets of millions of people that are then without a home right so you suddenly get flooding in bangladesh and there's two million people that need to be you know repurposed or you start to get sea level rise and start to lose parts of india or you know a massive pandemic starts in, in central china and kills 50 percent of the population and then suddenly we don't have anybody that drives the buses or cleans the, and whatever anymore and we lose a significant chunk of the population where mm-hmm. our day-to-day really starts to get screwed up. And that's what humans hate the most, right, is when we've become comfortable with something and then that changes. And then you'll have people in part of the world who are, like, fighting for clean water, kind of like they are now. And then you have other people in part of the world who are untouched. And then you're just going to start to constrict where humans live and wars are going to break out. And I think... I think it's the, I think it's a nuke. I think that's ultimately what does it. I'm going to mm-hmm. put my money on there. I'm going to take the easy so way I'm, out. So I'm with you. Like, <clears throat> it, you're kind of a coin toss on, <clears throat> you know, disease or like environmental volcano or flooding or whatever. Geostorm. But at the, Gerard at the Butler end movie. of yeah. the day, like with the. We have like the we have the technology. Fallen. The Earth is fallen, and Gerard Butler's <laughs> gonna come save us. <laughs> I fucking hate those movie theaters. I, I, I know you guys do. They're they're so. I mean, bad. Angel, so London, awesome. yeah, White House. Um, but then like we're we will have the technology to recover. Yep. We'll have the resources to recover. Um, however, we won't be like just we're gonna fuck ourselves up. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's going to become, like, politicized or someone's going to have, like, it, it's going to be society that collapses because of our inability to, like, just get along and be homies or be self-sufficient. Or realize that we're all citizens of the world. And even though we live in different countries with different ethnicities and this whole deal, like, we're all citizens of the world. And so I think that's a really interesting yeah. kind of way that this kind of deal, you know, and, and I, I was actually talking to, uh, um, uh, you know, 
uh, Harry Heppenstall on the fact that the UK went into lockdown. And I was kind of joking and I was like, yo, man, if I, too bad you can't just jump on a plane with you and your girl and come here to Texas. Like, you think it would be so much better. And he's like, I wish. But like, I mean, you should be able to. I, I don't know, man. It's it's just a weird thing that like we've kind of created this us versus them and, and even more politicized in this country mm-hmm. where like you realize we're all on the same fucking life raft. Like, like yeah. the Titanic, like, like we're all in the same life raft. Like, uh, like there's no dividing this thing. We're all stuck together. We have to find the best solution to move forward. And, um, I'm kind of with you. Like, I, I think it's going to be a chain of offense that yeah, like, like you said, like, you know, mm-hmm. it'll be some form of, uh, plague, um, you know, pandemic happens. And then as these things start to like yeah. melt down and supply like, chains fall apart, yeah. people can't get food. People are then starving. Yeah. Then you turn no into the road warrior, no access to clean water. And there's yeah. this cascading turn into Mad Max. And then you get some like, you know, extreme religious extremists that somehow bought 10 nukes from, you know, from, uh, out of Bangladesh. And next thing you know, we're fucking, but that's everyone. You think everyone, I think there's survivors out there, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't foresee a, a com- 100% a complete annihilation. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's going to happen two million years from now. Who the fuck knows? But right. like in, in a foreseeable time frame, I don't, I don't think we waste everybody. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. there, I'm not saying it's going to be fun afterwards, but I think there, there's definitely going to be some, some hangers on. Mm-hmm. For sure. Mm-hmm. Cause you like, yeah. Who are those people? I mean, I'm probably not. I'll probably, I'll be, I'll get wasted out with like the rest of the, the wash. I doubt, but there's probably people up in like, up in the mountains, you know, the whole, oh. the whole nuclear cloud is going to be below their altitude and they'll just come down one day and be like, what the fuck happened up yeah. down there? Well, the problem is, is that uh, the impact, I mean, when they look at like the blotting out of the sun, I mean, it's just like, it creates yeah, could, an unsustainable deal. I mean, that's it. Realistically, the true, like when the sun goes, earth goes, right? Well, but, uh, but uh, okay, this, this is a good question, right? And, and you probably be able to answer this much better than I. But, like, okay, so uh, I love, like, we, um, the, what is it, the Houston Museum of Natural History is, like, one of our favorite places. So I take the kids down there maybe once or twice a year because they have all these bitching, like, uh, fossils. And there's, you know, short-faced bears. And you get to look at all this stuff. And what's, yeah. what always amazes me is that uh, all the fossils for sharks, they really haven't changed in millions of years. Like the shark like mm-hmm. evolved and it's pretty much been kicking ass for millions of years. And that predates the, the last big extinction. So I'm like, mm-hmm. how did sea life survive? If all of a sudden it blotted out all the, um, you know, the sun and this, I mean, how, how did these different marine uh, animals survive in that environment? Well, you know, one thing to think about is everything came from the sea. You know, so our, the earth's, if you want to look at it this way, the Earth's natural state of life is underwater. <laughs> every land plant, every land, everything evolved from the sea. Um, so if you think of it in that way, it almost makes sense that during these mass extent- extinction events, which typically are terrestrially driven, right. you can start to recede back into the ocean and kind of restart, right? Start over. Um, and that's, in fact, what has happened a lot because it is much more difficult to create a massive impact on in like on the deep oceans or underwater, right? For for all the reasons you can think of, right? Of just why it's harder to get there. Um, so when you think of it from an evolution sense, and we there's a, what is it called? Uh, it's like the deep sea refugia hypothesis, which mm. is exactly this. Now which we're is talking. 
Yeah, which is essentially, right, like, you get massive impacts that wipe everything out and things recede back to the deep ocean and where those are basically untouched. We're talking low oxygen levels, low temperature, everything is moving, growing slower, but it's not really being impacted by all those like light needing species and shit on the earth. And then over millions of years, that's your new seed for evolution, which we already know works. And then things start to creep back up again. Uh, the other one that uh, like our, my, my other favorite fossil to look at is uh, the octopus, which I think is oh. really pretty fascinating. Um, yep. dude, my, my kids and I, like my, my one daughter is, uh, convinced and, um, and we actually found research where a bunch of scientists got together and we're like, we can't necessarily figure out where the octopus came from because our first fossil, is it complete? And it was pretty much what it is. And it's like nothing else. We can't figure out how it, you know, so, so there, there, yeah. And so one of the, uh, actually one of the research papers, it was like, only thing we can think of is extraterrestrial said it came from somewhere else. Like was kind of their... And, and these weren't YouTubers. These were actually PhDs that were like, we have no explanation. We can't follow the chain. Like everything on life, like like you don't find, a, um, I don't know, like a, a, a stone tool above a, a 747. You know, everything kind of follows into this progression. And they were like, yeah. the octopus is kind of one of those that doesn't. Yeah. So, yeah, cephalopods in general. So like what octopi are, are part of and cuttlefish. Awesome just like super awesome animals um besides that like did you guys see my octopus teacher that new like netflix documentary that nope. came out? okay yeah you give that one a pass it's a little weird <laughs> um <laughs> but uh no yeah I, so you're right i don't know that much about the the history the geologic history of the octopus all except for that i know it's super crazy and people are still like we don't really know what's going on what i always found fascinating is I've, you, you hear different um, analogies, but basically the octopus is as evolved down its evolutionary branch of the tree as humans, or almost as evolved as humans. So they just like, we all start, you know, theoretically, we all started back here and they went here, we went here, and we're at the same point of our evolutionary like path. And yeah, we turned into bipedal apes that can now talk and do shit, but like, an octopus can fit through a pinhole and change its fucking colors and yeah. <laughs> like exist underwater. And they're super intelligent yeah. and just, yeah, incredible animals to be around and to watch work and really start to understand. Um, so yeah, they're, they're super cool. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, like the, the fossil stuff. And I, I think that's important, especially like, you know, for me as a dad, taking the kids, like letting them see that, like, we are just one piece in a greater cog and like, here's the, you know, the different pieces that existed before. And, um, yeah, it, it's just, it's always neat to kind of go and see that physical representation. Cause I think a lot of times we just get so detached. It's kind of like, uh, like our food supply, for example, like, you know, part yeah. of the thing I like with hunting and, and some of the stuff around yeah. here is, Hey, this is where the food comes from. And they get to see more so than just, it comes in plastic. No. And I appreciate it. It's all about getting that that greater appreciation and that, that humility that humans often lack about where we stand in the, in the world or in the evolution or in the geologic timescale, which is like nowhere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it's a, there's nothing more humbling than being a geologist, maybe like an astro geologist who studies space. Cause like for the earth is nothing. <laughs> right. Uh, but at least from a, from an earth perspective, like, yeah, to be a geologist and you think of like, if you think of, you know, the entire earth timescale is the length of your arms and it's like if you clip your fingernail, that's about the amount of time that that humans or, or that homo sapiens have even existed mm -hmm. in any form. And it's yeah, it's really incredible to think about. And 
yeah, to look at the fossil record and, and for two reasons to be like, we've truly been here for such an insignificant amount of time and look at all we've accomplished and maybe look at all we've screwed up. Right. Mm-hmm. But also like just the idea of like, this is where we came from. Like we all used to be this fucking fish that like yeah. came out of the- <laughs> How did that work? You know, it's like, I want to, I want to believe almost the creationists and, and the, or, or the ex, the people that believe like we came from aliens or whatever. Cause it's just, it's no less bizarre than being right. like, well, we used to be a fish. And now we're not. And let me tell you how over millions of it's like. Come on. Wait a minute. How, how did, did we go from them? gills to lungs? Like, I mean, yeah, there's so many yeah. pieces. But then uh, even before that, weren't we just like a little egg yolk? Well, like a little amoeba? Well, don't you remember Isn't the Big Bang th- Theory? The thick hot soup? You remember that whole one? I, I remember. I, in, uh, it, I mean, dude, this has been years, mm-hmm. but I remember in like what? Them, them going over like the whole like uh, Big Bang Theory. Yeah. Thick hot soup. My nickname in college. Just isn't a TV show. Uh, but like the idea that there was like a spark and there was this thick hot soup and next thing you know, like the spark of life. And my question was always like, well, what was before that? Yeah. Like, was oh, it just yeah. dust? Like, like what was fish. the catalyst? You know, and people were like, like no, don't. I mean, don't do it. Yeah. Man, we're, I, you I know, love like, about Ancient that Sumerians shit. knew, but we don't know them. They've mm-hmm. been gone for 7,000 years. Well, in Men in Black, we're just floating in a galaxy or a rock in a galaxy around cats. Orion's. A Belt. necklace. Yeah. Belt. Isn't it a neck? Wait, the necklace was the dog. Aren't we in like a marble that big aliens yeah. are playing? Yeah, it's, that was the cat. That was it's Orion's in the galaxy belt. around Orion's oh, okay. belt, which was a cat in its collar. His name was Orion. Mm-hmm. Right. And he had the galaxy in his neck. Yes. My, Spoiler alert. My other favorite was like the little dude that was like uh, the human was his spaceship, and he's like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, no. <laughs> I like the guys that drank coffee. <laughs> the three that were in the yeah, office. Yeah. Well, you like, know, <laughs> uh, Texas uh, convinced that there's actually lizard people that live underneath the. Uh, <laughs> That's right. You didn't deny it. Well, I didn't know this was a thing. John, any <laughs> insight? Okay, no, no. Tex didn't know that there's uh, conspiracy theorists that think <laughs> that there's like uh, a master race of lizards that control everything that live underground. But wh- on this flat earth, but why? <laughs> I don't get it. Like, who benefits the lizard From people? What? Yeah, I don't know from that theory. Well, you saw. I told you they live with Rowdy Rowdy Piper. It was a documentary. Mm-hmm. Oh, love mm-hmm. Rowdy Rowdy Piper. One hundred percent my favorite wrestler. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know Wait, who benefits from like. I hope you guys aren't religious. Probably not. Like Scientology. Like, come mm-hmm. on. What is, where does any of this crazy shit uh, no, 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 no. Uh, L. Ron Hubbard was making all, like millions of dollars a second. Actually, well, did you read Battlefield Earth? <clears throat> but he was a great sci-fi writer. Why wouldn't he be in religion? Yeah. We all benefit from Scientology because of the movies. Thank you, Tex. Well, it's it's, it's kind of like... Uh, um, it's a great position. I support it. My favorite was I heard a guy or somebody arguing about like, uh, uh, you know, people arguing about different religions. It's like arguing like who's got a better imaginary friend. And yeah, like, yeah. Like, like I thought that was like the funniest thing. Where it's like people are killing themselves over who's got a best imaginary friend. Mm-hmm. That sounds crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my imaginary friend shat us out in a volcano and then erupted humans. I'm like, damn, that's so much cooler than mine. Like, <laughs> I'm gonna make something else up. Next yeah, you know. that's crazy. <laughs> uh, apparently, yeah. they found the the crater, the impact site of. It's in the Yucatan. It is in the Yucatan. Yeah. yeah. Of which one? Of the so uh, they, I can't yeah, pronounce. They couldn't the, find it because they didn't know. Like they couldn't realize how big, big it was yeah. until they saw some like global it's, imaging, where all of a sudden they realized the size of the crater. I want to say it's from like San Antonio to Houston diameter, it's like 150 miles. Well, yeah. they this Wikipedia 
or excuse me, this YouTube video I just watched. Oh, you're researching? My research. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm rebiology. I got a PhD now. 50 miles <laughs> in diameter. Masterclass. Oh, it was the size of the rock was 50 miles. Yeah, so. Estimate. I, yeah. Look, That's 81 that kilometers, John. So the <laughs> Just, one that I yeah, read I was like 40, no, 40, 45 on the impact. And it was traveling like, did, did it, does it give the speed? It was like 10,000 miles per hour when it hit. I can't read that fast. Yeah, because we, um, I, I went on my, Ash and I went on our honeymoon to Belize, which is right around there, I think. Like you can take a day trip to the. Yeah, so the Yucatan Peninsula and then Belize is mm -hmm. in that. Central or uh, Central America. So I like started to read some reviews on it, and there was some pretty like pragmatic dudes and people reviewing. You're like, you you can't really see anything. Like it's so freaking big. Like all you know is that you're there, but you're other than that, that, like you're not looking at a crater. You're just seeing land. You know, like the. Uh, so we ended up not doing that. We were gonna go, and we were gonna dive out there, the blue hole. Yeah. What is, is oh yeah. Out there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Believe. Yeah, but uh, but the reason I didn't do that one is because two weeks earlier I was at a bachelor party with my buddy in Tijuana, and we went off that crazy slide you've probably seen on yeah, Instagram, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I ruptured my eardrum. So like, if you oh. go down there, your vestibular systems like you're gonna just barf and die. Yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah don't go down the blue hole with a ruptured eardrum. It's so, like bye. Yeah, so that one got pitched. So I have to go back and oh. do that one. So there was this awesome article or a couple of them that came out. They made it in like huge papers, Science and Nature. I think it was last year or 2019 by a bunch of paleontologists like dinosaur people and some of them were at my university because these papers have like hundreds of people and it was a study that had re-researched the impact crater and they basically could like they they played out by like the the minutes what happened when the the asteroid hit uh -huh. If I, I'll, I'll look up the, the article and I'll send it to you, Tex, or I'll send it to you, you guys should read it. But it's like nuts. I mean, a little bit is jargony, but they like figured out everything that happened and it's argued, but who the fuck You mean cares? after the fact, so, like once it hit? Like after, once like it hit. the second it hit through the geologic record, through like advanced isotopes and imaging, because it's all really, really small layers. They figured out like, they, you know, it hits the sand gets ejected into the into the sky, but because of the heat, it's instantaneously turned to glass. And then for like nine hours on the other side of the world, it was like raining molten glass <sighs> down on like the dinosaurs. And and then yeah, obviously all the steam that's ejected and then immediately is like covering the earth and and more uh, water vapor and cool. And it's they just like go into it, and I'm just like, yes. how long? The, um, <laughs> do you remember how long it took? I mean, was it instantaneous or did it happen? No, over the no, course? no. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry to cut you off. That was that was one of the big things. Is like, I mean, you get incinerated if you're within. I don't know what the blast radius of like half the globe, right? But a lot of the extinctions um, occurred like you know several days and weeks after the event through all these other things we're talking about, and then ultimately because of the climatic change, <clears throat> which took. I don't know exactly how long it took for every, I mean, cause like technically not all the dinosaurs died. I mean, we have like yeah. crocodiles and birds, yeah. um, which were raptors. Um, but you know, for the big extinction we're talking about, it, it did take years to occur. It wasn't just like a, everything vaporized. Although so, everything around the Yucatan Peninsula, Peninsula definitely yeah. vaporized. So one of the fossils vaporized. down in Houston that we looked at um, is the first recorded uh, fossil uh, with opposable thumps. Right. Mm -hmm. So like a hand with like an opposable thumb and it's on a bird. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty interesting. Like as we were going through, like it was uh, I, I had read about it. And we like went. It's just like one obscure one. And as we were looking at it, like the docent dude, you know, who like kind of walks around, and talks to people is like, are you interested in this fossil? I'm like, isn't this the 
first kind of fossil with like a five finger, like a posable thumb. And it had like kind of like some structures and he like actually gave us way more information on it. But he's like, this would be the first fossil that they've ever found that has elements of humans in something that's not a human. And I was like, fuck yeah. So that's cool. Yeah, no, I, dude, I I love that stuff, man. I I think it's, it's super fascinating, but I also, um, like, as we were talking about, like how it all ends, I still am kind of clinging to this idea, almost like Jurassic Park, because they keep finding these things in the permafrost. Did you see the one Uh, like, like like where they're pulling out these woolly mammoths and these different things? I know they're going to pull something out that's going to turn into something that we don't want it to. I'm like, this feels like Pandora's box. We've made movies about this. Yeah, yeah. I, you know what freaks me out is like, have you seen the the massive like holes that just form in like Siberia in Russia? Yeah, the sinkholes. From like these huge sinkholes that yeah. like people just flying around with a plane. And like, wait a second, that entire <laughs> it's yeah. just like the whole world just drops away once all the, that gas moves inside. Yeah, that shit is crazy to me. Well, too. weren't they testing nuclear weapons up there, like in those holes? Like they were dropping like big nukes in there to test. They they detonated like a fifty megaton nuke underground in one of those holes, and then like they yeah. ended up with like hundreds of more holes. Yeah, to my knowledge, they have been doing some pretty Russia y things uh, in those <laughs> holes. But I know recently there have been more and more of them, just because yeah, as this permafrost melts and and all that you know frozen gas gets emitted and it's just like boop sinks down. I'm like, woo, that would suck. Yeah. Imagine being like the one family that lives anywhere in siberia like you're 200 <laughs> miles away from anybody else like you know farming i don't know but i'm gonna be racist just hanging out and then it's like oh St. cold dead nobody cares yeah like wow, yeah, disappeared <laughs> down to the center of the earth with the lizard people yeah yeah with the lizard people well at least you know you could exist i'm sure they use uh, plastic forks only mm-hmm. oh man <laughs> that's how you know i'm not i don't use a plastic fork john where's the coolest place you've ever been diving or otherwise coolest place uh yeah diving is this place called um so dongsha atoll which is this uh small taiwanese military atoll in the middle of the south china sea uh so it's like this perfectly round little circle and it was uh you know based uh during world war ii right in the middle of the pacific um and just is it was incredible because it's really bizarre both geologically, it's like this perfectly formed, so atolls form from these old mountains that basically erode over time just so that they have the rim and they have a pool in the middle. It had it's an incredible coral cover, uh, and we stumbled upon sort of octopi, but uh, these massive cuttlefish, which I still don't know the species of, like a meter, so like these almost three-foot-long cuttlefish, uh, like dozens of them that were laying eggs. How are cuttlefish uh, really- related to octopi? I mean, I know they're the same. I mean, I know they're the same family in terms of like the the kind of the shape shifting and the colors and all that. I just didn't know how they were related. So they are both cephalopods, which are a class. So in the taxonomic order, they're a class. Um, I don't know much about their biology specifically. On I mean, they okay. So they both have um, bones. And I can't remember. So it's called a cuddle bone. I can't remember what the mantle bone of the octopus is, but this is what kind of puts them in this grouping is that they have a bone, which helps with their swimming and buoyancy, which everything in this group has. Hmm. Uh, so a cuddle bone looks like a long, uh, like flat, interesting little bone. And it sits on the top of its body. And that's what helps keep it buoyant and float as it does. Um, I don't know much more than that. Yeah. <laughs> that's more. Now we know more than we yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But uh, yeah, coolest place I've been just because I hung out. You're stranded there. There's one flight every two weeks, and it's you, uh, my supervisor, and 200 Taiwanese military dudes that don't speak English, like coexisting on this island. And we would just be out diving, and they'd be doing like military things. Mm -hmm. And you would just walk around the island. It'd be like old decaying bunkers and mad like missile silos. And then you wake up in the morning and go like diving all day. It was pretty crazy. Yeah, my, (laughs) my dad said that the Galapagos was something everybody should go see. Like he, yeah. he, he was like obsessed. And I, I remember, uh, um, even as he was, you know, uh, slowly succumbing to cancer, I asked him like, dad, you know, are there anything left on the bucket list? He's like, the only thing left on my bucket list is to go back to the Galapagos. And I'm like, so wait a minute. Yeah. So your bucket list is revisiting things from your bucket list. Redo. Yeah. Like redos. And he's like, man, I wish you guys could have come. I wish your mom could have come. And he's like to, to, to see it is just one of those, you know, uh, monumental things. And, and I mean, that's be pretty neat to go see where Darwin came up with the origins of life. Yeah, exactly. With the finches and everything. Yeah, I would love to go. It's it's pretty hard if you don't have a lot of money. It's near impossible if you're a scientist, and for good reason because they're trying to protect it. They don't want people stopping around all the time. It's I mean, it's easy to get there as a tourist. You just got to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been to I've been to Chile in that part of the world, but I, I couldn't make it over the Galapagos because. But uh, would definitely definitely love to go <laughs> one day. Mm-hmm. Cool. Anything cool. else, McQuilkin? No man, I'm I'm happy we're able to to reconnect, even though you're halfway across the world, dude. Text you didn't yeah, tell hey, us that I you got had a, such cool friends. Mm. <laughs> I got a fanboy a little bit. You guys, I don't know if you noticed, uh-huh. I have my OG shirt oh, that yeah. I got. This one is like, was this one? I think speed it says is "Speed is King." Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. It's like so. B1. Actually, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, this this is what twenty. Is that a gray shirt or a black shirt? Yeah, great. great. God, that's an gray, old shirt. Gray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When was the last yeah. time we printed a gray shirt with a black logo? Um, Probably twenty. What? Let's see. November. <laughs> Did we? Yeah. I mean, a carnivore. I think it was on oh, gray. Yeah, Third yeah. monkey was on gray. So then, but no. But those were white with white. But I'm just wondering. We did a black shirt. Oh yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah, I don't remember having a black one. Fifteen, sixteen. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, fifteen, sixteen. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, all right. Fanboying done. No, I thanks, guy. I mean, this is. This is the type of sh- I wish I could do this more often. This is just love to shoot the shit and talk a little bit of science, a little bit of weightlifting. That's kind of like my whole life. <laughs> yeah, man. Cool. So, no, thank you. For usually not time. with people who know what they're talking about or enjoy it. So, so I appreciate where can people it. catch up with you? I mean, obviously you got a TED Talk. Do you have social media? Do you have a, a you know website if people wanted to reach out? How's the best way to get in touch? Yeah, I mean, I, I have a website. It's JonathanSavolsky.com, which is uh, pretty. You can just type it in, find it. You can Google search me, um, and I, I pop up. So, and then uh, my uh, Instagram account is J-O-N underscore S-C-I underscore B-U-L-S-K-I, Cybulski. So it's a little play on words because mm. my name is actually Polish, but threw in science in there. So if you want to <laughs> catch up there, that's where I, that's where I do all my, my cool underwater shit. And uh, yeah, I would appreciate it. And appreciate if anyone listens to the talk give them feedback yeah awesome man yeah. we'll definitely link it up yeah thanks for coming yeah for sure and, I, thank uh, you so much i really uh post covid i really hope you guys can make it out here because there are definitely some good gyms that could benefit from some people who know what they're talking about well now i'd be bitching to go see mm-hmm. yeah awesome well thanks man appreciate it thank you sir appreciate you guys have a good one have a good see day you. whatever it is uh, bye. bye good night bye, bye. bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Take a closer look at John's work by heading to his website, John Sabolski, that's C-Y-B-U-L-S-K-I, or by checking out his Instagram, John underscore Sci, as in science, underscore Bolski. 
Until next time, I'm not even going to attempt it. Later. Later.